Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Three is Company. We are here talking about FFG's Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. I'm Joseph, and with me is Liam, our overworked and underpaid editor. How are you? <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, yeah, it's becoming a slight backlog, but um, i yeah, get to them as uh, as quickly as I can, and um, it'd be nice to get some more of these episodes out, because, uh, yeah, we obviously all stay up till really late or get really early to do it, so... Uh, yeah, it's nice to see it all finished when it's all done. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Thanks for doing it. <laughs> no problem at all. Also with us is Mr. Underhill himself. How are you, Ryan? I've missed our games this week. You've been busy, haven't you? I've been extremely busy. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. I've been tired, even though it's not late here, just because I've worked about every day for the last three weeks or something ridiculous. So um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to next weekend so we can play a game again. Right. Yeah, it's been a while. Also, we have a special guest with us today in my own time zone, which is an unusual luxury. The merry to our hobbity trio, Mr. Buzz Hannon, or OK Targ on the interwebs, right? How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Ryan. And I have a group chat with Buzz that is active almost every day, just talking about Lord of the Rings. And it's great to have you on our golden episode three is company episode three right <laughs> episode three i thought you had me on so i could make four as a crowd but right. uh we should have waited till episode four <laughs> the magic of editing liam can probably hook that up there we go more work for him anyway we're going to be looking through the uh fire in the night cards today right and then having a conversation about the dale archetype which has stormed the game but before we jump into that, um, let's chat about what we have been playing. Liam, you have a recent success in the Lord of the Rings world, right? Yes, yes. Very, very happy to finally be in Poros. Me and my friend Steve, who I always play Lord of the Rings with, uh, pretty much just only play um, multiplayer nowadays. Um, we finally beat Poros. Amazing. It took us, we worked out just under 10 hours. <laughs> We're playing it. <laughs> we got there. And uh, I was talking to, to you guys very briefly about it um, before we started recording. And yeah, just shocked to see us at a uh, five um, on the scale of difficulty. Felt Certainly felt harder than that. Um, <laughs> and um, actually, I switched to Dale after about six hours of it beating us. I switched <laughs> to a Dale deck. And um, I, yeah, I've got a lot to say about Dale, and they are just incredible. And <laughs> I just feel great that we beat it finally and that we can move on. So I'm really looking forward to Dale's cycle um, and playing through that now. Yeah. And finally, you know, putting, putting that quest behind me for a bit, <laughs> very fun, very fun quest, but yeah, whew, difficult. A lot of, lot of moving parts as well. So it's nice to hopefully go back to something a bit more straightforward. Um, apart from that though, I've really only been, Playing Star Realms with you, um, quite a crushing victory on the last one, yeah. Uh, I think you did like over 35 damage in one turn, which was kind of ridiculous. Um, <laughs> we've had some harder. I was going to kill you anyway, but I just kept yeah, to overkill. You've got you though, you've got you. It's that Sorry little sort of like salt in the wound, isn't it? It's like, yeah, I got you, but uh, there's more. There's more in the tank. <laughs> I also like to buy stuff as well. It's like, I could have bought this, you know, even though I won, I could have bought this. <laughs> I even but, um, do that, but I just felt... <laughs> <laughs> although, although it is also quite fun as well, just to be like, when you get them down to like two or three wounds, just one card. 
Just one card. That's all I need. Bam. There you are. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick, quick and dirty one. Um, yeah. So I've been enjoying that a lot. And, um, and the only other thing that I've been doing sort of game related stuff, cause work has just been just absolutely nuts since Christmas. So the only other thing that I've had any time to do, it's been gluing together this, uh, rather large amount of plastic Warhammer that I have accidentally purchased. So that has been taking a long time to glue together. I finally got 500 points glued together and I've been magnetizing it all as well. So it's taken a bit longer, mm. but, um, I feel like it's worth it cause, uh, there's something very satisfying switching all the arms out. It feels like they're almost kind of like little, like more like toys, even more so. It's crazy. It's good fun. Loads of weapons on the vehicles are magnetized now. So um, yeah, this this little Drukari army is coming together. Although the more I glue together and the more hours I spend gluing together, the more I realize it's going to take me literally a year to paint all this, probably more. <laughs> you still have surprise packages showing up on your porch? Uh, it's it's dwindled now because it is it is kind of like if I, if I buy much more it would I think it would get to the point where you just like mentally can't get past it. Do you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. no, <laughs> I have to I have to be but there has to be it has to be an achievable project for me to um, you know really get stuck in. But it's been fun and the models are lovely and I'm really looking forward to painting them. Still kind of deciding on a color scheme, um, which is obviously quite important because that's going to be like the color for all of them. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I want to get that right. Um, but yeah, black, like, right? like your ass yeah, ju- yeah, just basically just spray them black and just leave it at that and just say that they're like, <laughs> you know, shadow army, maybe <laughs> it'd be quick. I was thinking um, all the black highlights you did on your last set there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, see, I am definitely resigned to doing them to a tabletop standard. They cannot, I cannot spend three hours a minute, maybe on like the good ones, like the sort of, leaders and things like that but um but yeah no god the normal troops they're just going to be i will do some highlighting for sure make them look nice but tabletop nice i'm expecting to hear a lot of oh they look really nice as a unit oh there's some good color strong color choices there from afar they look fantastic you know i'm, I'm that's what i'm aiming for with this <laughs> pick them up and have a good look and it might <laughs> might start to sort of fall apart a bit but yeah <laughs> Um, but that's pretty much all I've been doing that and work. Honestly, it's been, it's just been nuts. So yeah, it's been, it's been nice to just concentrate on a few little projects, Lord of the Rings, bit of glue in, um, and, and yeah, star, star realms. That's about it really. Did you purchase the Warhammer with the sweet, sweet podcast editing money? Oh yeah. Big time. Once, once you sort of, uh, yeah, once, once those checks start rolling in that first one, (laughs) you know, when you work out your hourly rate, it's it's just fantastic. Really? (laughs) All right. Uh, we appreciate your work. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you do give me the little care packages now and then. They sort of like, you know, that they, those those are uh, are also very much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, let me know when you need uh, some more motivation. I'll send you another pack of <laughs> weird stuff. Do you have yeah, a Yeah, I just realized I accidentally have two Altart Galadriels, so I can give you one of those if you want. Oh, I will I will double check that and get back to you. I need to I need to uh, I've got a bit of organizing that needs to be done, but uh, I will get back to you on that one. How about you, Ryan? Oh, I'm I'm extraordinarily boring. I haven't been playing anything <laughs> except Clash Royale again. I've been carrying the clan in the clan war and that's about it. <laughs> and I've been when was the last time you lost? Too. <laughs> you, um, you went on a massive run of winning like everything on that game. There was a uh, period about two weeks ago where I lost about three clan wars on the trot. And then I think I've kept up my record ever since then. I like Clan Wars. It's fun. Do you play Clash Royale, Buzz? 
I do not. Oh. I play zero video games. Can you believe it? <laughs> this is a phone game. Is that in the same bracket? Uh, in my world, yes, it is. Okay, okay. <laughs> not through any moral compunction to avoid electronic games, but 100% of my gaming is analog. Nice. Wow, that was so hipster. I like the tactile feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does live on the West Coast, so hipster is oh, yeah. pretty close, right? Do you play uh, Lord of the Rings on um, Octagon or anything? But I do not. I only have a Mac, so uh, Octagon doesn't work on Mac. Yeah, I was very so, sad to find that out as well. Those, though, I do play from time to time a uh, Game of Thrones card game on their browser-based web portal, theironthrone.net. But I haven't done that in months, so I just waste my time looking at real objects, not at my digital ones, I suppose. So, Ryan, you and I got at least one game in this month, right? Yeah, it was a while ago, wasn't it? I think we we're testing some decks for Lost in Mirkwood. So that'll be the next mm-hmm. video we put out, probably. Because that that game of Journey on the Anduin we played was hilarious because I convinced you to let me play Dunedain. <laughs> and oh. I, ha- I had all the fun. I don't think Lynn <laughs> seen this. Buzz, have you seen that game? You seen I, think, that I think I did. Yeah. I, I wasn't paying too much attention, <laughs> if I'm <laughs> being honest. Honest review. That's nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, but I, I built a Dunedain deck, and it doesn't work well against Journey Up because you have to clear the enemies uh, yeah. to advance the stage. You have to periodically clear the board. So it yeah. kind of works against itself, yeah. Yeah, and that, ma- that made it kind of fun, though. Um, but the other thing that made it fun was the Hill Troll. <laughs> turn one. <laughs> turn frenzy. one Hill Troll, yeah. And, and somebody left a comment saying, I thought you were dead as soon as I saw the Hill Troll, but you managed to win, so well done. Spoiler alert there. Um, I thought you did too. I thought, well, so did I. I mean, I had to do something like sneak attack, um, sentry or something, turn one, which cost me two cards. Yeah. And then I had to play snowborn scout and eat another five threat from the hill troll. You were like 45 threat on turn three or something. Yes. And you, um, canceled Gaiman in shadow effects several times. So thank you for that. That was fun. (laughs) That was fun. So it was a good game, but I think when we tested against Lost in Mirkwood, we absolutely destroyed it. So no doubt when we do the video, it will destroy us. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because that will be a return to normality, which I need. Um, in other news, I took up yoga because it's free where I live. Have you ever done wow. yoga? I'm more of a splitting wood kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're Haldan then. You're Haldan guy. <laughs> But well, I can imagine how I'm really getting into the zone, throwing some like shapes, like some chi, just before he like gets into the <laughs> splitting. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, it's difficult actually. It's really difficult. The teacher makes it look easy, but I'm about mm. as flexible as I don't know Haldan's leftover twig pile or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. My my partner loves it. I went with her once, and uh, I was of the set. I, I thought it looked really easy i was mm-hmm. like oh it's just like sitting around and thinking about stuff and like maybe moving a bit and it's like no not even close so it's like brutal. <laughs> <laughs> felt really sore afterwards yeah it's really oh, good for you it's really two good days later you. i was very sore but i'm trying to build up my strength a little bit so pushing yourself up off the floor and all that stuff is uh is good so yeah that's me what have you been playing uh buzz i play a lot of curious george seek and find with my kids that's great. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have even more kids than Joe, so that's that's a lot of kids, really, by any reckoning. Um, so I do play a lot with the kids at home. They love to play Star Wars Destiny, so we have a few little bits of that. I play uh, Game of Thrones when I can get out and make a tournament. Uh, my wife and I do board gaming with friends. 
we're playing Azul. My sister got me that for Christmas. It's kind of a, a semi-abstract. Uh, I've seen that everywhere, game. but I haven't tried it. Right, good. It's quite good. I would recommend it. And then when I get a chance, I play Lord of the Rings LCG, true solo, in my house with real cards, with sleeves. The way God intended. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what I'm up to. Like you guys have been working a lot and so on, but I'm excited to talk some games tonight. You mentioned Destiny. What, what do you think the age limit is for teaching a young kid to play that? My six-year-old really wants to try it. Uh, he could probably do it, he or she. Um, my eight-year-old does it. There is some reading that's necessary, um, but the dice symbols are pretty intuitive. And so right. if you simplified it, I think they could probably do it. A couple starters sure. would run you like 30 bucks or something to give it a go. <laughs> I got a starter for five bucks on sale somewhere. <laughs> and they just oh, yeah. actually, they, I think they just rotated the first set. So you may be able to pick some of those up on the cheap. Mm. Well, I've been playing a lot of Lord of the Rings lately. I played through the whole Harad cycle with my group over the last six weeks or so, and we've finished. Uh, we played it all out of order, though, so I don't know why. But we finished Poros and Race Across Harad last night. Just two player, but yeah, both of those quests back to back. That was fairly brutal. Is that based on the last episode where we discussed Harad? Is that what made you react yeah. to it? And we just hadn't played it straight through which we still don't play it straight through but we played them all back to back which is fun I thought you were and trying I to use... beat the whole cycle in the same amount of time it took Liam to beat Poros nine hours right not, not, no speed <laughs> runs <laughs> nine quests nine hours <laughs> and then I uh, played the entire Arid Mithrin cycle well what's that which seven quests right in the last three days with a solo deck Dale big surprise right <laughs> So that was fun. Um, I've been playing games with my kids, too. I have a crawl space under my house about three and a half feet tall. And we've set up a game station down there with that Mice and Mystics game set up permanently. So we can just go down there and <laughs> play in our dungeon. That sounds kind of dodgy. Like <laughs> 9.30 after it's supposed to be in bed saying, can we go play Mice and Mystics? No. <laughs> got, got Fritz, Fritzel over here forcing his kids to try <laughs> You, you must play the game. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how famous he is in the USA. Do you guys know yes. Josef Fritzl? Do you know that guy? There's a European thing, I think. I don't, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know okay. either. Okay, well, if people do know who Josef Fritzl is, then they'll be laughing at you right now, Joseph, because he built a dungeon under his house. He, he built a dungeon under his house and kept his kids down there. Oh, yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't laugh really but no not really <laughs> as the story unfolded it yeah. was like 16 years or something crazy like the, the door had like never even seen oh, the light of that, day yeah it was really really dodgy but um i don't know whether she was playing mice and mystics or not i should imagine it was probably a bit worse <laughs> than that <laughs> need to move on quickly because <laughs> <laughs> I played a bunch of a Radagast deck by Matt Duckworth for my blog and blogged on that. I had a fun time there. Um, I think since last uh, episode, you and I played the King's Quest video uh, and recorded it on YouTube, and my Rohan army got incinerated by a grumpy dragon. That was pretty entertaining. Yeah, that was a fun game. I played Bjornings, Liam. Very fun. They wrecked. Did you like it? Yeah, it was very fun Does to it... use the skin changer to get in those big guys. 
Does it feel like a proper deck? Yeah. Oh, hey, awesome. I built it. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah, but you know, well, sometimes it's Bayorning. No, no, it's not. It's not enough oh, cards what, to do that. No. That's really good news because I was because um, uh, Steve said when when we move on to Dale, he'd really like to play um, Dale in the Dale cycle. So, um, and I've had some fun with Dale trying to take Poros on. So I was like, oh yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll think of another couple of decks because I was a bit worried that maybe it wasn't fully there. So it's really great to hear that it is, and um, I can put that together. Yeah, I think it's it's not a hundred percent Bjorning, but it definitely is powerful enough. It's Bjorning enough. <laughs> And last thing I've been doing is my Blood and Plunder uh, campaign started in earnest, and I'm running the natives. Half the guys in our group are noobs, and the natives are really tricky to fight against, and I keep massacring them, and I feel guilty about that. But it doesn't stop me from getting the XP. So. <laughs> That's a gaming philosophy for everyone to live by. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good noobs. scrub. <laughs> Get carried away. Anyway, um, let's move on to some cards here from Lord of the Rings. That's what we're here for. Before we jump into the Fire in the Night, we reviewed Roam Across Ravanian a couple weeks, well, maybe a couple months ago. <laughs> Any changes on opinions on the cards we looked at there? Just a quick review. It's Haldan, Wigloff, Wild Stallion, Metal Door, Woodman's Path, Glamdring, Ancestral Armor Flight of the Eagles, Eagle of the North and South Away. Whoa. Feed review. Rapid fire. Good, 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 bad, 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 good, good, good. Scatman <laughs> B Gamer Joe. Do you know who Scatman John is? No. Oh, you're right. There's two people for you to look up after this. <laughs> two, um, two very different people, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, moving swiftly on. Um, there's one card that I think uh, I, well, panned, which was Haldan. Um, maybe I didn't pan him, I roasted him, let's say. And, uh, <laughs> But I think we had a really good game the other day where it was Dungeons of Kirith Garat and you were playing Haldan Joseph and I was playing a deck that just so happened to use Elfstone and um, the Spirit Attachment, which is Ancient Madam, that's it. And it seems like the more people are using those attachments, the better the Woodman decks get, which seems mm-hmm. a bit obvious, but it just seems so much better when there are two decks that were naturally benefiting off putting attachments on the active location. Right. Um, and that particular quest ends up putting some other attachments on locations too, right? Yeah, because your captured um, allies count as attachments on the on the location. So he was getting benefits off that as well, I think. Every time you rescue somebody, you get to draw a card. Right. So that was quite good. Uh, that, that changed my perception a little bit. But again, that's two-player. Still not convinced about solo. And I do yeah. remember another game where you sat there moaning the whole time because he wasn't doing anything. <laughs> that was bad. So, it was bad quest for him. It was poor foresight on my part. But. Let's come back to him at the end of the cycle, I would say. Yeah. The other one I've been enjoying is Ancestral Armor, because I think we were a bit lukewarm on that card, but um, I find myself trying to shoehorn that into pretty much every leadership deck at the moment because it's so fun. And uh, in, in that journey up the Anduin game, we had it on a Snowborn Scout. <laughs> Just for the laughs. Yeah. But it actually worked. He was a 3-3. Yeah, it was good. And he was going to get a ready as well, but then the enemy became immune to player card effects, so it never right. happened. Yeah, I just pushed it into a deck that's Trisphere without leadership. I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not. But <laughs> Wait, so you're running an <laughs> off-sphere, but you don't have a native 
you're using the armor smith guy, aren't you, Master Ironsmith? Yeah. Yeah, I figured. I'm muting myself now. Goodbye. <laughs> it's entertaining. <laughs> Have you found a particular <laughs> value out of any of these uh, cards, Buzz? You've been playing these, right? Um, as a solo player, I never played Haldan. I probably won't try him. Wiglaf, I wanted to try, and then I realized he's not good. We'll probably get into that more <laughs> when we talk about Dale. Ooh, it was kind of sad. That was, was a sad realization. Well, he's not good, right? I don't know what to tell you. But you're, you're right. I, I agree, by the way. I've quite liked Ancestral Armor recently, too. I think this cycle has quite a few enemies that you want to have a big defender and to have all those stats in a single card. I call that density. I don't think anybody else calls it that, but that's how it works in my mind. Uh, it's quite nice. I put it in my Dunedain deck, and I love it on Amarthiel, and it just gets him up to yeah. where you're not afraid he's going to die anymore, which he's most Dunedain decks you're afraid. So, <laughs> uh, I think those are the only ones I've tried from the last pack. Uh, I was kind of noticing the Fire and the Night cards are than the Rome ones, so I'm looking forward to speaking about those tonight. Yeah, Ryan said everything I was going to say, so let's look at Fire and the Night. First, we have the hero. Buzz, do you want to read this one for us? Thranduil, uh, the long-awaited He's a right. leadership hero. Looks like he's got uh, nine threat costs for one willpower, one attack, three defense, four hit points, uh, sylvan and noble traits, and a combat action. Play a sylvan ally from your hand. You do not need a resource match for this ally. Limit once per round. I'm supposed to tell you how great he is, right? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> great. So I know this is an audio podcast, but I love the art. The Magali art is amazing. And most of the lineups I think that you run for Sylvan, or at least that I run for Sylvan, have all Magali heroes, which is always a win uh, straight away off the bat. But I like Sylvan. It's actually one of my favorite deck archetypes to play. And Thranduil gives you a little bit of a different way to do it. Um, So first off, he gives you that early game defender, um, which Sylvans can tend to be a tad squishy. Um, And I was thinking that he would just be a strict upgrade to the other Sylvan heroes that you can run. Normally you run like a lore for Trisphere. I run Celeborn, Thranduil, Galadriel for the four colors. And I realized it kind of makes your resources a little bit wonky um, because you're playing allies later in the turn. But Mm -hmm. I've liked him a lot. He's a lot of fun for sure, but he definitely changes the way you build. You can't just slot him into a Sylvan deck, but... I've had good returns. I've beat a lot of quests with that Sylvan deck, and I like it a lot. Yeah, it ends up being a lot of leadership resources, and there isn't that many leadership resources needed for the deck. So his smoothing really helps, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I went up to, like, I think two or three um, Orifins in the deck just because you have so many and you want to use him early in the round for Galadriel's bonus. Right. Um, but he lets you put in like Rumel late in the round, which is really nice. Or you can play Legolas without having to wait for your tree people. Um, so he gives you quite a bit more combat potential. Do that though, it takes away from your top end questing in your Sylvans. So it's still a little bit tricky to balance. I think Sylvans are super fun, but I don't think they're the most powerful deck that's out there. What do you guys think? Well, the, this is the first time that I'm seeing any of these cards again. And um, oh, I'm so happy to see him as a hero, finally. Like, he was the guy that. It's pretty much the one you, you've been waiting for, right? He kind of like completes it in some respects. Um, sort of one of the biggest named sort of elves that um, hasn't had a card yet. Um, and he seems to fit with the Sylvan trait perfectly. He just like adds to um, to what they're trying to do, sort of lots of 
bouncing, playing sort of in and out of um, uh, sort of playing after you've seen what goes on so you can make informed choices and he kind of fits in with that as well. Um, I didn't even really notice his defensive stats. I was just reading his text box. And when you mentioned that he's a great defender for them, that's absolutely right. Sylvans can really struggle at the start or even just generally struggle for defending. You're often sort of having to stop the attack um, with, uh, what's the one where you sort of like bounce a, a silver and then you can just t- turn the attack off? Uh, it's almost just like a faint. Um, Talking about faint voices. That's yeah. it, faint voices, yeah. Um, and I was just, I just got my silver deck out just then actually, so I was just flicking through and he seems like a pretty good, although maybe awkward due to the resources, but maybe sort of get rid of Prince Imrahil. Um I was using Prince Imrahil and putting Elf Friend on him and that was the way I was sort of getting the Sylvans out. <laughs> and, um, I was thinking he sort of pretty much does the same thing, really, but um, but yeah, better in some respects for Sylvan anyway. Yeah, very interesting. I'm really looking forward to playing with him. What are your guys' thoughts, Ryan? Uh, same as you guys, really. I'm glad to see him, and I'm glad that Sylvan have got a defensive hero, you might say, because that was always a bit of a weakness in their card pool. Maybe not a weakness, but an omission, because you can use their allies to do chump blocking. But with this guy, you can actually uh, do some proper defense. I was going to ask for, I think you've played him, Joseph, and you probably play him a bit buzz. So what's the best way to take him up to the magic four defense? Because with that three, he's still a little bit squishy, I would say. So what do you do to get him to four when you play Sylvan? You're trying to get me to say ancestral armor? Um, because... <laughs> I wasn't, but uh, it's a good choice. <laughs> it's a good choice. I use uh, day-to-day warnings also. They're cheaper. Um, and plus one is usually enough. Um, if I wasn't running them in my DL deck, I'd run Hopperks of Mail as well. But since I play pretty much physical cards without proxies, they don't go Hopper there. But those would be my top. Leadership or Warrior or Dale? It's Dale, Warrior, Dale and then the Ancestral Armor right. is Leadership or Warrior, right? Leadership or Noble, yeah. Probably right. I think I've conflated that in my head at the late hour, but yeah, these cards that fit on two different traits are easy to get scrambled. But you really only do need him to go up to four, though, because if you're running Sylvan Trackers, which is pretty easy given his combat action, you can heal him up every round for kind mm-hmm. of de facto defense. Yeah, that, that's almost. Um, I was going to say one of his weaknesses is that he's squishy in the beginning compared to say Baragon. But yeah, you're. That's a really good point about the tracker. Because I always run a Sylvan tracker in a mm-hmm. Sylvan deck. Um, and you can still run it because of the, the off-sphere thing in a combat mm. phase. I was wondering with his ability, how often you would use it every single turn? Because it is quite nice to play certain Sylvans in the planning phase because they've got quite nice abilities in terms of, you know, sort of like searching your deck for events with uh, Adrian's Minstrel and um, things like that. And it's also really nice to get that plus one to the willpower through Celeborn so you can quest reasonably well. Um, and then it gives you a Sylvan as well to be able to bounce back and do some of the tricks in the combat phase. So I wonder whether you will have the resources to... It's almost like you might potentially have to have a choice about whether you're playing that Sylvan ally in the planning phase that will um, be quite good for questing or sort of um, have another ability that you want to take um, advantage of, or whether you want to wait until the combat um, a combat phase and then play a Sylvan ally then. 
in terms of fighting and defending. So I wonder if it's, it's, it's like another choice point. Although with certain ways of reducing the cost to play Sylvan Allies, you, you can often get two out sort of mid-game a turn. But um, early game, you often have to pick one, I feel. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I've played a couple decks with him in it. Uh, I played a lot of several games with Dave Walsh's uh, Sylvan deck that he did a whole, whole series of uh, videos and things about. And yeah, you're right. It gives you another decision point. I think overall it decreases the willpower output, like Buzz said, of the entire deck, because you aren't playing that. Even I mean, a combat ally is going to quest for one if you put it in a planning phase, but it won't if you do the combat phase. But the some of the allies are better to put in during the combat phase, like the Greenwood Archer. You can defend with Randwill, plan the Greenwood Archer, ready him back up again, defend again, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think you're exactly right. And also the other archer where you can uh, drop the defense as well, and then you get to pick a more appropriate enemy to drop the defense on. Right. Um, Marksman of Lorium. Yeah, the double leadership in the deck doesn't really... It makes me a little annoyed. Because you really need Kelleborn to make the whole deck work. But the three of them, Galadriel, Durandville, Kelleborn, I think work pretty well together still. The worst thing about him is now I'm a little afraid of game ending at some point. Soon as mm. he wasn't out, then I know we're safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's still got to get his uh, law version, right. tactics version, and <laughs> spirit version. Right? Versions, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but um, also, I mean, just, just touching on that artwork again, that is a really awesome picture. Like, that's almost kind of like the kind of old art ones that you get, like, that are just, like, fantastic. So I, I really think that's such an amazing picture. Like, the leaves <laughs> in his hair and stuff, it's awesome. I feel betrayed, though, because I contacted Magali a couple of years ago and asked if she was still doing anything for them. And she said, I think everything I did has already been published. Oh. I've been sitting on this one forever, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> also, he's got a nice little pun in his quote as well. It's a crime to wander in my realm without leave. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes with his own attachment. Liam, do you want to take this one? Sure. He comes with uh, oh, another card in this pack is the Elven King which is a leadership attachment, which costs one resource, title, attached to a Sylvan hero, action, exhaust the Elven King, and return a Sylvan ally you control to your hand to ready attached hero. So more bouncing and more goodness, and you will be wanting to ready him for his defense. So um, yeah, I think it's a really nice attachment. It's nice and cheap as well. You guys got any thoughts on this one? I think it's great. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what else to say about it. The ability to put things back in your hand to play them again. It's not quite the same as card draw, but it's a way of getting Killaborn's stat boost again or getting the come into play effects again, which is really nice. You know, Joseph mentioned a minute ago the Greenwood Archer in the combat phase, and this lets you do it again. So it's fantastic. Uh, who do you find yourself normally putting it on, Joseph? Do you put it on Thranduil for defense, or do you put it on Celeborn since he'll be questing and therefore get a little bit more boost out of the ready itself? Honestly, I've been putting it on Thranduil and then only triggering it to get allies back in my hand. In the games I've been playing, I haven't found the readying that necessary. But the cool thing but is it's still good without it. I don't think you can just trigger it to put an ally in your hand. You have to ready him. Oh yeah. So if you have him ready for defending and you don't have any enemies in play then you actually can't use its ability 
And so for that right. reason, then it's nicer on Celeborn because you always can ready him. If he's questing, I, I just been attacking for one <laughs> with Randall just lamely so I can ready him. You do have to be a bit careful about some of these Sylvan cards that um, like almost having too many that, that require a bounce ability uh, to return a Sylvan to your hand because then, you know, some low, nearly all their events work off of that. So it's a bit, again, more decision points, which I love in decks. I love it when there's a ton of decision points. It normally means it's probably a pretty strong deck as well. But yeah, if you're bouncing using Elven King, then maybe you're not bouncing using, you know, the tree people or something like that. So far, I haven't found that to be a problem. I'm happy to bounce if, as long as I have the resources, which I, as long as you can get Olorian out, mm. bouncing to a turn is making me happy. Yeah, I can't to steal a thunder from a few cards down in the pack, but there's a guy that makes that pretty cost efficient. Coming up you feel cheated if you can't bounce them, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the only thing with Sylvan decks. I mulligan ridiculously hard for Olorian. <laughs> if I don't have all, well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that on a recorded podcast, but uh, you know, <laughs> it might be heavily implied. If if Steve takes his time getting to the house, then you know, I feel like I get free free reign on it. <laughs> but um, but no, no, not too bad, not too bad, it's not too bad. But um, but yeah, like without Olorian in your opening hand, it's uh, it's quite depressing playing Sylvan sometimes. It's pretty annoying, yeah. How many do you put in your deck, do you think? A full three? You don't want to see two and three no. later, but you kind of want to see it. What do you think? One king? Two X. Yeah. No substitutes. That. The deck is pretty tight. Actually, mm-hmm. I find a Sylvan deck. You have more cards you'd like to have than slots, and so I don't think you could play three of this. There's a lot of Sylvan cards. I mean, it fits with the whole mechanic of Sylvans, and it seems solid, and I like it being costed one. So what do you think about the Elven King, right? Um, I think it's a good card. I think that um, I like it because it's cheap and versatile, as you guys were getting at. It can be used on a defender uh, or a, an all-rounder like Celeborn. I think I've put it on Legolas as well when I've played a two-handed fellowship um, just because Legolas was ranged, so you can get some value out of him. Um, the Elven King I, presumptive? Well, yeah, the future <laughs> Elven King. <laughs> no reason you can't spread that title around, you know, if it, um, anybody can be the steward of Gondor, then anybody can be the Elven King as well, I would say. Um, but uh, I think they actually needed this card more than Thranduil, I think, because uh, this is a bit more versatile. And I've always found when I played Sylvan, I wanted to use the effects on the allies again, whereas I didn't find I needed a defender so much. I think it changes the deck more when you add Thranduil. Uh, I used to use the old neutral ally, the defender of the Nath, who's bad. By the way, he's not. He's not great. He's. I say he's mediocre. He's an average card. Um, but I didn't find myself needing a defender. I found myself needing willpower and stats more. And this is what uh, this card gives them. Yeah, even if you get an entire army of Sylvans out, you're questing for like nine. Yeah, they, they really. One. They top out. <laughs> there's, you have there's a, that boost. Yeah, what do you call yeah, that plateau sort of? That they hit. Yeah, um, prior to uh, Thranduil's release, I was actually running Aragorn as my third hero, Tactics Aragorn, so that I could get Sword that was broken on him and get some willpower, mm-hmm. which was kind of a, a funky build that I enjoyed. But I agree with you, Ryan. I think that Thranduil is a fun card, and he's a good card, but he doesn't improve the power level of the best Sylvan mm-hmm. decks, quite like Elven King does. I think I agree with you that you don't run it as a three-of, though, which sounds a bit weird when we're saying that it's a powerful <laughs> card. Um. 
that's our Game of Thrones informed deck building philosophies. Yeah, I think you don't it run is. three of uniques. You just don't do it. <laughs> Depending on what the unique is and whether or not you really want to see it, and if you've got a way to filter uniques and all these other things, right? I hope. For the first few turns, you don't need it because you've got cards in hand to play, right? Mm. But as the game progresses, starting to recycle those becomes more necessary. It can be annoying if you see this attachment before you've seen an ally. That's the other yeah. thing I found. So you said that sometimes you'll do a ready on Thranduil when you don't need it just to get one attack. So you can look at this as one resource for one attack. So it's breaking even. So if you put it on Celeborn, you're getting one resource for two attack, which is good. And you can run Letter Valinor as well in a Sylvan deck to get more action advantage. Right. So it's a nice. Well, I was just saying, I often didn't need the ready at all, but I would trigger mm. it. I would attack with or somehow exhaust Thranduil just so I could trigger this, just so I could play that Sylvan again next turn. That's what I was getting at. I did mention to you guys you could try Ally Faramir and Sylvan. What do you think about that now that you've got two leadership heroes? Yeah, you could 100% do that. That would be a yeah, good, I have good a, idea. I have a friend who was playing a lot of Thranduil the last couple of weeks, and he did exactly that. Oh, right. Although he was it? pretty much playing about eight allies in this deck. <laughs> so he always focused on heroes. So Faramir kept boosting my deck. Oh. Oh, well, at least he's boosting somebody. But it worked. Uh, all right, shall I do the next card? Go for it. All right, this is Orchrist. It is another leadership attachment. It is unique. It costs one. It is an artifact item weapon. It's guarded, enemy or location. So you're going to like this, Joseph. Attached <laughs> to a hero, restricted. Attached hero gets plus two attack. And response, after attached hero destroys an enemy, add one resource to attached hero's pool. So this is Thorin Oakenshield's famous sword, I believe, which Out he took to the grave. Cave. Yeah. Because they found it, didn't they? Didn't, didn't they find Orcarist? That was They found it on the uh, three trolls in the loot. They found a bunch of elven weapons, and I think Orcarist was one of them. Right. Along with Glandring right? and Sting? Yes, yes. Yeah, because they're, they're the ones that glow when they're around orcs, which is interesting to see that there's nothing to do with orcs in the text. Yeah. Well, I believe the treasure one from the Hobbit box does specify orc, right? It's probably a good thing because those types of things are kind of annoying. Especially if it's take them out. You want to be able to get value out of it, yeah. yeah. Take them out for certain quests. They're amazing in other ones. It's, uh, yeah. But this card looks pretty damn good. <laughs> when you were reading off what it did, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. I don't know. I'm not as convinced. To really? <laughs> yeah. Plus two attack and well, a resource. One criticism of these guarded cards is that they've been win more. And I think out of all of them, this one is the most win more for me. The, the winniest of more. It is. It <laughs> is the moriest of winniest of all the <laughs> cards. Um, so that doesn't make it bad because it is very, very good. But I feel like once you've got this down and you're generating those resources, you're already ahead. And I'm not sure Ooh. what I'm going to spend them on. Ooh. That's my feeling. Do you, reckon if, um, do you reckon if there is a card later on similar to how um, you can start the game with a side quest in your hand. If you could start a game with like a restricted artifact or something like that, uh, or like a, you know, a guarded card in your hand, that would make them a lot better because, because you're right. But if you get this early enough and you get hold of it early enough, 
it is win more, but it's win more at a point in the game where you do want to be winning more. If you get it mid to late, then yeah, I could see perhaps it is a bit more. That more. point in the game, though, is also the hardest part to win more because the first few mm. turns are the uh, most difficult sometimes and the scariest. Mm. So if you put this out turn one, I think the high chance of, reward, right? it, it will be, but um, you know, if you put this out and an enemy comes out and you could sneak attack Gandalf it and then fine. I, I've not tested that much and I know Joseph has, so I'm going to hand over to him and he'll tell me I'm wrong. No, I've played it a few times, but yeah, to, to get it early, it will more likely torpedo your whole deck rather than help it. Um, I've used it in a Haldan deck, which I always hope it'll get stuck on a location, but it more than likely gets stuck on an enemy. Although I really like the fact that in this cycle, all the biggest enemies are can't have attachments. So <laughs> this won't pop up on a troll, ironically enough. I've been using it with, uh, oh, great, now I forget. Bard, son of Brand, or Brand, son of... Whatever the blue guy, the spirit guy who can do any Bard. items. Oh, thank Bard. you. <laughs> so I can play out of sphere. So then I get resource acceleration with no leadership in my deck. So I've been enjoying it there, but I haven't thrown it in a real leadership deck yet. But it's really nice to have another leadership weapon that is a plus two. We have Uthwine and this one now. I was just trying to think if there is a hero in the carpool that maybe could like ready by spending a resource. After having attacked and destroyed an enemy, and lo and behold, there is one. This would be amazing in a twin stack, don't you think? Ryan has built that deck. Um, Maybe he I... accepted the idea into my mind. <laughs> yes, yes, his I ancestral did. armor. Now I'm trying to sell his Orcus twin stack. <laughs> Earning my appearance I, fee tonight. I think C Stan made one as well. Actually, it is totally <laughs> win more though in that deck. Once I'd managed to get them online. Um, cause I gave him Orcrist and the other one, Glamdring. So he's right. readying up, drawing a card and getting a resource so he can do it. Yeah. Basically infinitely, but it took me ages to get that set up in the game we played. That was like a three player game that your deck kind of fizzled for the first six. I, I did nothing. No, I did nothing. <laughs> I did funny. nothing for about 10 turns. And then I finally got the weapons out cause you guys carried me and I killed stuff. And then the game ended. <laughs> <laughs> but these these like uh, guarded artifacts feel like that. Like as in they they are um really fun to play in multiplayer, I think. Like it sort of it gives multiplayer gives you the room to be carried for a couple of turns. I know we talk about it being these types of cards being win more, but um and I agree, definitely. However, I don't think that's necessarily like a negative thing. Those decks are really fun. Like when you smash the when you just smash a quest so hard, it is really fun. And it can be like an exercise, almost sort of like a mental exercise in some respects, because you do have to, um, you know, play those games that you get beaten quite quickly and quite early in order to get that game that works really well and everything falls into place. But it's really fun. Are you fantasizing about smashing uh, Crossings of Portals now? I'm just still on a high. I'm still on a high from it. You know, the, the, it was kind of it was kind of crazy because uh, we, we won by literally the perfect margin as well we quested super hard with 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 the dale deck and um it was the turn we were going to try and win and you have to put 20 resource uh 20 quests onto the final one a minimum and then anything that gets killed afterwards takes two quests off before you see Mm -hmm. if you've won the game and uh we quested really hard like crazy hard we had loads of quest ones you're like we've won this we've got to have won this even if they kill like half our board we've still won and then we reveal the two encounter cards and it's the one that does minus one 
willpower to all allies. And then the second one is the one that is X threat location for the amount of allies you've got, which was like about 15 threat. And we were just both sat there like, no way. And then we did the maths and it was exactly beat by exactly enough to put exactly 20 on. And then it was the most bait defense that we've like, it was just really dodgy defending, but yeah, just lucked out on it. But like that, like, that wasn't a win more scenario. That was definitely like seat of your pants style. But the um the win more uh, playing win more decks I find is really fun, personally. Yeah, I haven't used enough. I'll try to. I think it'll fit in a treasure hunting deck, which can be made, but I don't think it's a top tier card in my opinion. You guys agree? Yeah, nice to see, and it is powerful. Don't get me wrong. I just think um against more difficult quests, you won't be able to use it. All right, let's move on to Lore Ally. We have the Forest Road Traveler. It's a two-cost, one, 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 and two-hit point ally with a Woodman and Scout trait. And his text box reads, Forest Road Traveler gets plus one willpower attack and defense for each attachment on the active location. I've used this a good bit in that I've been running a Woodman deck, and I've been very impressed with him as a quester. That's pretty much all he does, because... I haven't figured out how to either pace my attachments well enough to have something on the active location during the combat phase, or it's just not smart to do that, which might be the case. Are you playing south away in that deck? Because doesn't that put a location active in the travel phase? Yeah, if you have a location with attachments on it ready during the travel phase, which I've been playing mostly solo with Haldan, which I've been making it work. But solo, you usually don't have two or three locations sitting around, and it's hard to want to put attachments on those locations in the staging area when you could put them on the active location because you get that card draw and you get those other boosts off it. I don't know. Maybe I'm too greedy. What do you think, <laughs> Ryan? Um, well, when we did play that game of Kirith Garat, I do remember this guy doing some good work in terms of questing, and that was because there were so many attachments going on the active location. Right. You can quest for four pretty handily. Yeah, and and I think that was that was fun. I remember that game. It was a good game, and this guy did some good work. I could see this becoming a bit of a trap, though. You know, trying to put attachments out at the right time to get some value out of this guy. But I suppose if he's going on the quest and there's going to be attachments out anyway, then maybe not. I I personally would put him in that bracket of woodman cards that will get better the more people are doing the same thing. Otherwise, okay. he's very meh, and the scout is obviously something you like. So this is a card for you, not me. I'm not Scout Man, I'll tell you that. But. You are Scout Man. <laughs> you are the Scout Man. The only one. <laughs> How about you, Liam? Well, speaking of being greedy, I see him, I see his cost, I see his stats, and I see his ability. And then I look at Guardian of Escarath, who effectively is the same. <laughs> I just don't really don't really fancy him that much to be honest <laughs> at least there's no limit on this guy right but i can't imagine it being much more than three i've not played with anything uh I've not played with this type of deck but are you are you really getting more than three attachments onto the active location i would say two is average and five is possible mm. five is possible really which brings up to a six which is pretty intense yeah that's, that's very impressive. rare yeah without a limit i guess uh, um, i guess you could yeah i mean that, that's pretty nuts like six is uh Pretty amazing, yeah. I mean, without playing the deck, it's 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 hard for me to have too much comment. Have you um played with or similar decks to the, uh, that this guy would go in, Buzz? Oh, 
I haven't played anything like this. I assume that he's the kind of a card that's good in a Woodman deck and just don't try otherwise. So I'm probably not going to try him. Although he could take a Mariner's Compass. So now Joseph's even more excited. Oh, yeah. It's my new jam. Mariner, there's so many bad locations recently. All those X threat ones. Mariner's Compass just makes the pain go away. I love it. But I'd rather put it on the uh, North Rome lookout than this guy. But if you look at his stats and his cost, I mean, you're usually paying double or half the stats worth, and he's five stats, two cost, and I'll be questing for two most of the time, and two for two is as good as it gets in most situations, and in lore, that's gold. Yeah, I think he's great in that Woodman deck, but maybe one day. (laughs) I do have one more thought about this guy, uh, which is that um, you said about questing. So here's the thing, you need to exhaust him to quest. And I was thinking, well, if you fail on the quest, you've got some plus stats to help defend, because presumably you're in a bad situation. So the extra attack and defense could be quite good. So there is that. He he might get you out of a hole with those extra stats when you're not, not questing more. Though. Well, that's what I mean. So if you know you're going to fail or you're in a bit of trouble, you might go, oh, okay, well, I'll hold off and let mm-hmm. the active location sit there and try not to clear it. And then I've got this guy who's hitting for four and defending for four, maybe. So right. it's it's a it's kind of an interesting card in that way. You could uh, develop a strategy around that. It's almost like the opposite of Winmore. It's like a comeback <laughs> card, you know? Right. And I don't think or there are could... too many of those. So right. the nice. one I'm thinking of, Ryan, actually, is a card that I think only I like, mm-hmm. which is uh, I can't remember the name of it because I don't even like it that much. <laughs> it's the Merkwood. It's that good. It the, oh, I know. It's the Merkwood Explorer. Pioneer. Explorer. Uh, no, the Pioneer? guy that's doomed one, and then you take away a card's threat for one turn. Now that's a card that is a comeback card, because we don't actually want comeback cards. We want cards that keep us from having to come back. Yes, I would agree. But when you play Nightmare, actually, that guy has a place, because sometimes true. you gotta... <sighs> or you could just play... I can't believe I compass. just stuck up for the Mirkwood Pioneer. This is the first... <laughs> <laughs> Not just on this podcast, but a first in history. <laughs> I know this guy, too, the Merkwood Pioneer. I know a guy with a beard just like that. (laughs) Your Portland buddies. Hey, Liam, I think Steve is a proponent of the um, Merkwood Pioneer, so you should chat to him about that. See if he wants to come on and join the Pioneer Club. (laughs) Pioneer has one willpower, zero attack, zero defense, and two hit points, so he has two less stats for the same cost and a one-time effect. So it's definitely better, in my opinion. (laughs) I mean, he's better. (laughs) (laughs) He's better. And you could always put some leather boots on him. You absolutely could. So you want me to go ahead and read the leather boots? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Leather boots is a one-cost lore attachment. It is an item trait, and it says attached to a lore or ranger character. Limit one per character. Response. After a location is revealed from the encounter deck, exhaust leather boots to ready attached character. So lore doesn't have a lot of readying. Wingfoot is really the only other thing that comes to mind. I don't think it's good. And I realized it just stuck up for the Pioneer. So you might think, well, I don't know where this guy's bar is. This is maybe even (laughs) below the Pioneer because you don't generally want your readies after locations are revealed. You want them after you get enemies. Maybe this is just my solo mindset talking. Yeah, I just can't see too many uses for it. Maybe in like a multiplayer Treebeard hero deck. It'd be great to get some readies on Treebeard. I'm always looking for those. Big leather boots. Lower Faramir, I suppose, would be okay on this one, especially if you're battle questing. But man, it feels pretty niche. Have you guys had any success with this one so far? 
I haven't used it at all yet. I have a friend who has been using it. Uh, I forget who's been putting it on, but Faramir is one of them. I think you're right in that it's better in multiplayer because you see more locations. These as well. So you're more likely to want the ready in the next phase, in the combat phase. But if, it, if you're putting it on like a, you know, someone with mediocre attack or mediocre defense, it's not really adding too much for it costing one. You know, you may be putting like one or two extra damage in occasionally every, you know, once every three or four turns. It seems a bit... Mm. Right. Another thing that's against it is it's not very good in a Dale deck because there's not very many rangers. There's no rangers. And there's not very many lore Dale allies, so it's kind of out. Is the Sylvan hero that you can exhaust him to reduce the threat of an enemy in the staging area? I can never remember that guy. Uh, Argolad. Mm-hmm. This would also not be horrifyingly bad in an Argolad deck. But again, you'd <laughs> want that to come out when an enemy is revealed, not a location. No, but that's that's actually a really fair comment because um, Arglad often is up to three attack because you kind of have to move his attack up a little bit. He starts at two, I think, off the top of my head, and you have mm-hmm. to get him to at least three for him to be uh, for his ability to really sort of really kick off, and and you get the the extra effect, which is the extra damage because most enemies don't have two th- uh, threat; they've normally got sort of like three ish. Um, so three is a really good amount get him to and it does feel a little bit weird sometimes when you are putting a weapon on a guy who is not going to be actually using his weapon but with the boots as well um maybe he'll get a chance he'll get a chance to attack i could see that definitely i don't know that this is the top three option even for argolad but i guess if you're not running spirit for light or unexpected courage it might be worth a shout it Mm. still feels really niche like we're trying to talk ourselves into these boots here yeah it's currently rated better than Thranduil on Rings DB, so there's that. I think it might be time to inspect the Rings DB algorithm a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> yeah, is that the little ring with 21 next to it? Is that what that is? I think that's how many decks it's in, or something. Yeah. Ah. That's because people were proxying Thranduil six months before he was actually released, so everybody was oh, sort of like, "Oh, that's old news." I'm more interested in these boots over here. Balling and all the Thranduil decks or something. Exactly. They never got posted because people couldn't do them. And by the time that the pack came out, they were old news. Interestingly, um, I did make some notes about this card because I was supposed to read this one out until I convinced you to reorder the card so that I didn't have to. (laughs) So I thought I'd put some effort in to try and make it good. And Argolad was the first hero that I actually listed because it seems like the best use. But another one that might be interesting is Rossiel because you want that willpower boost, but you also want that defensive boost on her. Good call. So you might get some value. Although, if it's a location, you don't need the defense. So there's that. Well, just because you reveal a location doesn't mean you have, don't have an enemy you could mm. engage or an enemy you still have engaged from last turn. So I don't completely buy that argument, but generally it's mostly true. I think I would bring this happily to a four-player, less happily to single-player. I'd be in Buzz's mm. camp there. I probably yeah. wouldn't run this in solo, ever. Uh, is the ally Faramir a ranger trait? Yes, he is. Yes. He's, he's on my allies list, along with Anborn, who I think this would be good on, mm. because Anborn costs four, and if you exhaust him to get that trap back, you don't get that three attack. Right. So this would be good on him, I would say. And he's lore and ranger. The other one is Glaywine. Could be an extra <laughs> card for somebody on Glaywine. That's true. Glaywine <laughs> hasn't been errated like her. <laughs> I know, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm scraping the barrel, but, you know, there might be some targets in four-player, so you can spread that love mm. around. Nobody ever says no to free cards or extra cards. Oh, just last thing. I'm glad it exists. 
because Lore could use some readying. But as usual, Lore's tricks are usually, they do things in a different way. This is kind of a lame way, but I'm glad it exists, even though it's not great. Rain endorsement. Can I say one <laughs> more thing? Go for it. You can play a, a dress-up Aragorn deck where you give him his pipe and his boots, and you can arrange them <laughs> in the right locations on the table. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> did. You that, didn't you? <laughs> if you give him weapons, do you put them on like the left and the right hand and stuff like that? Yeah, and you can even play the weather-stained cloak. Yeah. Get a helmet. Get a helmet on him as well. <laughs> if you look back six months, on my Twitter, you can find that picture. Okay, the next card is the giant bear. Cool. <laughs> That's a pretty cool name for a card. Quite, a, quite a basic <laughs> name for a card, but I like it. I like you know straight to the point. It is a giant bear, and uh, it is a creature and a Bjorning. Yay. Okay. And he is a tactics ally costs five. Okay. Cannot have attachments standard for bears in uh, Lord of the Rings. Apparently um, action ready giant bear at the end of the phase in which you trigger this effect, shuffle giant bear into your deck limit once per phase. And the award okay. for coolest card of the cycle goes to <laughs> the giant <Oops>. bear. <laughs> Leather boots. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, you can bet. Yeah, I wonder, like, you know, they're, they're getting with the naming of the cards now. It's just sort of like, yeah, leather boots, giant bear. Pointy sword straight. Shiny helmet. We've got them all. But, um, but uh, okay, right. Let's break this down a bit. These, this is the first time I'm reading this. It seems like. So I haven't played a Bjorn deck, but I know, Ryan, you mentioned before we started recording, you started playing about with one and you're, and you're really enjoying it. So I think um, it'd be good to get your thoughts on it. I've obviously, playing five a number of times for him might kind of sting. What are you oh. thinking? Have you, have you tried it with this guy? I don't think I've ever paid five for him. Um, I'm putting him in with the skin changer and nothing yeah. else. And then is that the only way that you're not hard casting him ever? Um, it's a trisphere deck, so there's not a huge amount of tactics resources going around. So I'm trying to get him in with the skin changer or recur the skin changer back into the deck so I can do it again. Mm. Yeah, I've never paid the five. I think you could, though, in a Hergon deck, say. Mm-hmm. It's too expensive, though. Yeah. And if you look at his cost of stats, technically he's 11 stats versus five cost. You can get stats cheaper with two allies probably if you just want the stats for cost so yeah he's already a deal isn't it he's already ahead of the pioneer so that's something (laughs) (laughs) i think he probably he probably hates the pioneer actually (laughs) (laughs) and give him a stomachache that's why it's so grouchy because the cards (laughs) suck so bad He spat him out as well because he didn't even absorb the willpower off the guy. Just... <laughs> That's right. I think this guy's. Oh, I was going to say he's a beast. <laughs> didn't even intend that one. Yeah, didn't intend that. He's amazing. I love playing it with it. It's so fun. Haven't really used the action very much. I've just been defending with him. Yeah, and I was going to say that. That action seems like you do it if you really, really had to. Mm. But otherwise, you would try your best not to, right? Yeah. I mean, three defense with four health is is solid. Um, and it would be fun to trigger the action if you really needed to. Four attack, yeah. smash, ready, another four attack. Yeah. Or you could defend, load him up with damage, he's almost dead, ready him to kill something annoying, and then shuffle him back, bring him yeah. back healthy. Scurry away, yeah. come back later. Yeah. I really like the guy. After eats another pioneer. You can also give him a double action if you sneak attack him in, which is a little bit of an uh, old school trick. 
but you get the two mm-hmm. two actions before he comes back to your hand, which is pretty nice. You wouldn't have to shuffle them in. You could use the uh, sneak attack pullback first, couldn't you? Yeah, just like Bjorn from the Corset ally, since right. they're simultaneous uh, triggers, first player decides. What heroes are you running with it, Ryan? Uh, I was using Aristor, Arwen, and Tactics Aragorn. So I can give a resource to Aragorn on the first turn and then play that skin changer and uh, maybe play a Noldor ally as well. And then you discard the Bjornings anyway with because of Aristor. Mm. And then replay them from discard pile. Yeah, and it works cool. quite nicely. Mm. It's very counterintuitive to a five and six cost ally into an <laughs> Aristor deck, but <laughs> Arwen makes so many things possible. Right. I was just looking up oh, the Bjorn, uh, Bjorn's Rage event. I was just checking that it's a Bjorning character, so you can use this with uh, the giant bear as well. Nice. You weren't even playing is that Bj- event, were you? No, no. Is Bjorning's Rage for the phase, or is it for the attack? Uh, it's for the phase, yeah. So after a Bjorning character is declared as an attacker or defender against an enemy, that enemy gets minus two attack and minus two defense until the end of the phase. Anything else on the giant bear? Then let's move to Outmatched. Ryan, you've been using this one, haven't you? I have. I really like this card. Um, let me read it. So it's outmatched, one cost tactics attachment, condition and a trap, which is always exciting when we get new traps, isn't it? Everybody gets excited there. Mm-hmm. Play into your play area unattached. If unattached, attached to the next eligible enemy that engages you. Response, after attached enemy resolves its attack, ready the defending character. So I really like this card because I think that if you are playing Berragond, you can play this for one, and it's a bit like playing a four defense ally for one cost to me. Is one way to look at that. Or a forest snare, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say in certain cases, it's better than forest snare as well because it's cheaper. So if it's on a chud that you can defend very easily over and over again, you, you've saved two resources. Right. Really. The hard part is getting it onto an enemy that you A, can defend, and B, want to defend for the rest of the game, as Ooh. opposed to, say, a raging hill troll. <laughs> That's where Forest Snare is quite good, because you do have to defend the attack initially, but because you then get to pick like who it goes on, basically. Right. So you're not like rolling the dice on it. Can optionally engage things, so you have a little bit of choice, but in solo or two player, you might not have that luxury. Yeah, you can control it. Uh, it's just sometimes I've found it's gone on an enemy that I actually want to kill as well. Right. Um, but, you know, that's, that's not bad. It's a free ready still. I can defend that enemy, ready up, and defend uh, another one. Very good in Dunedain, it turns out. I think this is actually a better card for Dunedane decks than it is the traditional trap deck. I don't think this goes mm-hmm. in the old trap decks, really. They don't have defenders, really. Exactly. So they'll stick with Forest Snare. This one, I would put in any combat deck that's got really good defenders in it. Uh, and it really because... helps that Dunedane deck just to up your all your boosts from your enemies and gauge, right? Exactly. And um, if there's a Berragond loaded up on the table, then this just is value because it's an enemy that you don't need to worry about for the rest of the game, really. In fact, I like so, this so much in Dunedain, it made me build a new Dunedain deck, and it's as good as advertised. I mean, everything you guys are saying is is right on. The other nice combo I saw Ryan working was taking Shadow Carves off the enemy engage uh, on this with Destrier, 
and then there's no danger at all. Yeah, it makes it completely safe to defend. Right. And that way you can stick it on a, a bigger enemy. You know, if you if you have to right. engage a hill troll, you can you can outmatch the hill troll and defend the weakling and take away the hill troll shadow card. Right. And then you get that ready as well on the defender. Yeah, so many shadow cards in that game. <laughs> <laughs> that was your job. My job was just to laugh as they nearly killed me. <laughs> yeah, it's probably my favorite card of the, the pack, um, I think, having played wow. with most of them. I really like That's it. Cool. Brutal artwork as well, isn't it? The artwork's phenomenal. It's almost kind of like nightmare stuff. You know how the artwork in nightmare packs kind of like steps it up a level in terms of like gruesomeness and like scariness. This kind of yeah, <laughs> this kind of like fits in with that. It looks awesome. This guy's just slaying. Not much of a trap though. It's a very different sort of trap. It's yeah, like Rance. I don't put it in the normal trap deck, but it's cool in its own right. Let's move on to Galleon. We have another Sylvan ally. And the spirit cards here, his stats are strange. Zero cost, zero willpower, zero attack, zero defense, and one hit point. And this is the elf who got drunk and let Bilbo and the dwarves escape in wine barrels during The Hobbit. Uh, he's a Sylvan, <laughs> cannot attack or defend. His response, after Galleon enters play, he gets plus one willpower until the end of the round. So basically, he's a free ally that'll quest for two, assuming you have Caliborn on the table. And he is, he's just the best for jumping in and out of play, because you get that two free willpower, and you can ready somebody with the Elven King, or cancel a shadow with maybe the next card, or anything. He's just like a turbo boost for the Sylvan engine. What do you think, uh, uh, Buzz? You do a lot of Sylvans, right? Yeah, so since Ryan paid me to come on here and agree with all of his opinions, I was actually curious how many of these he felt was correct to run in a Sylvan deck. One or two or three. Oh, I'm under so much pressure all of a sudden. Well, <laughs> um, my answer is based on two-player, because that's the only time I've used him. And in two-player, I ran three. The more I play my Sylvan deck, the more I want one of him because your second and third copies are pretty bad, and you often run out of things to fuel with him, in my opinion. Again, playing solo. But you you know, you know, can only fuel one Elven King or one event or, or whatever, so you often want to pull back something that has a better come-into-play effect with those effects anyways, such as your Jers or all the things we've been talking about throughout the episode. So I'm actually down to one, because he's great to see, and he's functional resource acceleration, but I would just rather run Steward or something like that and pay for allies that matter. But I believe we just disagreed. Am I going to get kicked off the episode? Well, no, we didn't disagree because I haven't really tried him in solo, but I can see your point completely because he's not very impactful. I think what I was using him for is to use Elven King. Because it was two-handed, I was I was keen to use Thranduil as a main defender. So, for example, I've got three copies of Arwen and Domiel in there three copies of the Elven King to make sure I can get the ready and three copies of Galleon just because most of the Sylvan allies are kind of spread around. But you mentioned earlier as well that deck space in Sylvan is tight. It's in solo that is. And so I don't think I would dedicate three to this guy. Yeah, I just found I wanted more impact per card slot than he gave me uh, the resource acceleration, which I can get from some other places. But he's a lot of fun and a free ally. Never hurt anybody. Two willpower is great when he shows up, but I'm currently down at one. Have you played with him at all, Joseph? A little bit. And yeah, I'm at one or two. 
I don't think I would do three. You can't even chump with them to get rid of them <laughs> to make your second and third copies worth something, right? So yeah, those second and third copies do nothing. I guess you could get rid of them for a treachery or something that makes you discard an ally. It's funny, too. That counts for something. <laughs> he just looks ridiculous. I've seen that zero, zero, zero stats line is funny, too. Really scraping the barrel on the uh, named characters now, aren't they? (laughs) 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 I I think an important part of him, though, is you guys talked about the resource acceleration. I I really agree with that um, because one of the things about the Sylvan events that cost zero, like the tree people and feigned voices, while the events themselves cost zero, they do have a cost because they bounce the ally that you've paid for. And if you're bouncing an ally that you have not paid for, then it feels really good. <laughs> it feels amazing, right? It's free. Yeah. It's like you're doing all this crazy stuff for free. Like if you tree people galleon into a Legolas or something, like, wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can totally see how more copies would, 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 uh, you know, how it just gets worse the more of them you have in your hand. Um, but I'd be tempted by two, I think, maybe. Because I feel like it's it would be a really nice card to have early and uh, and just keep and that's the card that you keep reoccurring. Right, that works really well for that. Yeah, I'd probably go two, maybe one. It depends. Yeah, there's so many cards to put in, including the next one. Right? Who's reading quicker than sight? Are we ready to move on? Mm-hmm. I think quicker than sight is up to me. Quicker than sight is a zero cost spirit event. Response, return a Sylvan ally you control to your hand to cancel a shadow effect just triggered during combat. So events which return your allies are always good. You know, we've been talking about that all episode, often as good for the return as for the effect. And I generally, I think, run fewer shadow cancels than a lot of players tend to. So I do not have quicker than sight in my Sylvan deck currently. I prefer the threat reduction one, uh, Island Amid Perils, for the same slot. But it's nice, and then it's nice that you can cancel it, not just enemies engage with you, but with any player. So I think it's worth its weight as a cancel. I just don't prefer cancels as a style. Get him, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Let me off the leash quick. <laughs> Disagree with me before? <laughs> nah, nah, I, I think um, I, I agree on some points, but one thing I was surprised by when this card was spoiled was that people were a bit underwhelmed by it. And I really felt like Shadow Cancellation was something Sylvan didn't have. So I was really happy to see this card. And I've used it a lot since it was released because I don't generally run Island Amid Perils as it goes. So I thought it was interesting you would rather run that, even though you've already got, say, Galadriel's Handmaiden and Galadriel. I think this gives them something new rather than the other one, which just lowers threat, if I remember correctly. It does. It bolster your threat down by the cost of the ally. And right. what I like about Island Amid Perils is that it's on demand returning the Sylvan to your hand rather than waiting for an effect, which you yep. can't control as much. So if you really would like to put the ally back to your hand to play it again, Amid Perils lets you do that at any time, push button, whereas this you're waiting for an encounter deck effect. Shadow mm-hmm. is not the rarest effect, to be fair. you know. And then I guess I suppose that if you really needed Shadow Cancel, you could always have ran Hasty Stroke uh, in your Sylvans. Uh, I'd rather have this, to be clear, than Hasty Stroke in my Sylvan deck. But those are the reasons I like Island Amid Perils. I also feel like in the Sylvan deck, because you can get your threat so low, you basically can control your engagements really easily, especially in solo. Mm-hmm. And so staying under engagement thresholds means you don't have to deal with shadow effects really at all. It's been two years since Ryan ran a threat-reducing card, so... <laughs> 
trying to remember if that's true or not. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> well, um, I, I think I, I do agree about the um, hasty stroke because I typically don't use that one very much. But with this one, I think the Sylvans can get wrecked by some shadow effects. And I remember, well, that is what I was about to say. I remember one <laughs> game where the Hummerhorn shadow effect went off and I had this and I thought, thank goodness I had that because that would have just ended the game there. Uh, all of the allies would die with that shadow effect because it does one damage to all characters, isn't it? Is it all yeah. characters? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think there's been a couple of games as well that we've played where you have saved my bacon because you had quicker than sight. You being Joseph, that is. I was like, I've never once saved your bacon with quicker than yeah, sight. No. So. <laughs> well, maybe in the future you might, if I, if I convince you to, to like it. Um, well, I just, I just like the fact that it's there. Um, and I, I don't see it as a dead card because it can save you in that way. Sure. But I think I'd probably run two copies in Sylvan, personally, over um, Island of Mid Perils. That's where I am, too. But yeah, it's way better than Hasty Stroke because Sylvan decks usually are spending off the spirit resources pretty quickly, especially if you're relying on that for spirit and lore with Gladriel. So having this for free and pulling an ally back to hand is usually better. It's not really a cost often. So, yeah, I love it. Uh, Liam, did you get to chime in on this one? You guys pretty much covered uh, covered it pretty uh, comprehensively there. Um, I think that I hadn't used Hasty Stroke or very much like Shadow Cancellation that was not like a really obvious one to use for the deck archetype that you were playing uh, or that I was playing. Um, but having... Just beaten Poros. I don't know if I've mentioned that yet, but yeah, we just did that. (laughs) 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 Having just beaten Poros, one of the main reasons why, I mean, like after Poros beat us like about four times due purely to the shadow effects. So I put in, I I amended my deck, uh, the the Dale deck, and I put in two hasty strokes, um, dropped some cards from it and put in some hasty strokes and Steve run, uh, the Duodame one where you discard the guy and cancel the shadow effect. Watcher. And he Watcher, that's it. And he also had, I think, Burning Brand as well. So we really like covered ourselves with the shadow cards. I think I think the shadow effects are are for me quite quest specific. It's nice to pack ones like this where it makes sense for the deck to run it in pretty much all quests, because that all quests will have some shadow effects that are very nasty but there are some quests where it is just ott and it's like no you have to have shadow cancellation and i think obviously this card's great for that i i think that if i was running a sylvan deck with um with spirit i would i would think i would be really tempted to put two of them in there because you get the bounce as well and as we've said a bunch of times the bounce is uh lovely yeah well you know who else likes playing sylvan just to give a little segue here Caleb. Caleb likes playing Sylvan. And I feel like this is the sort of card where if you told Caleb you don't like it, he'd get annoyed with you. <laughs> is that, is that, is that your way of right before this picture was taken? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> is this Ryan's way of just winning, winning the argument, you know, just straight up? <laughs> oh, well, Caleb would like it. <laughs> did make the card, I Ryan. <laughs> I'm going to find it where he currently is at the Lure of Middle Earth, and I'm going to ask him. Is quicker than sight strictly better than Island Amid Perils? Or could a strong, competent player choose to not run Shadow Cancel and not be hassled by people Ooh. on the internet? Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> 
no fair but you're getting that thallion aren't you ryan i was yeah <laughs> and by the way i'm not disagreeing i think i think you're right you just run the one you need depending on the situation so uh let's move to thallion liam uh so thallion is a neutral ally Four costed with two willpower, two attack, two defense, and three hit points. Uh, Duodane Ranger. And while there is at least one side quest in the victory display, ready Thalion at the beginning of the combat phase. While there are at least three side quests in the victory display, Thalion loses the ally card type and gains the hero card type and the resource icons of each sphere on a side quest in the victory display. Huh. Who is Thalion? I don't recognize him. Nobody you know, don't worry. No. <laughs> okay. Um, the picture is the art. It is the portrait of Caleb Grace. Is um, it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Joseph, you should, should let Liam carry on as if he didn't Sorry, know yeah, what it was. Just, just, yeah. just start being like, well, this, well he looks weird. <laughs> cool. So that, this is his art card. Because they get one, don't they? If, if you work for FOG for a certain amount of time, you, you get your face on a card, right? Right. Is Thalion actually a Lord of the Rings? Because he's obviously a unique character. Is he actually a Lord of the Rings character? No, they made it up, but it is is in the right language. Cool. Um, Well, I mean, if you're going to have a card modeled after yourself, you might as well get as many words as you can in the text box. And that is a lot of words. (laughs) Um, There is a lot of funky stuff happening with this card. I don't know quite what to make of it, having read it for the first time just now. And I feel like I might need to read it again in my head if one of you guys wants to uh, let me know what you think. That would be really interesting. Do you think Caleb designed the name of this card as an homage to the mythical Monothalon deck from the corset days that <laughs> Nate French always used to joke about? I heard him say that he picked that name because it means faithful or steadfast, a similar thing to what Caleb gets interpreted as, basically Fido. as a Monothalon. <laughs> right. But, but Joseph, both you and I like side quests a lot, and he's amazing in the side quest deck. Have you had success with him? I have. Yeah, it's quite good. I really like the resource smoothing (laughs) in the late game. My side quest deck is a little resource starved, so that really helps. What have you put him in? I just had dropped one of him in my Thurindir deck, uh, which I ended up taking apart to build my other Dunedain deck. But basically, he's everything you want in a side quest deck anyway, with just a little extra questing, resource smoothing, like you say, late game attack power. I mean, he's an easy one of for me. I don't know that I'd run more than one in a side quest deck, but I definitely run one. I was running one of, and then I was playing this current cycle, and there's that, I think it's Rumble Cross Shavanian, the troll, when you engage him, he eats up the top five cards of your deck. You have to discard him. And he kept getting discarded that way. Caleb's troll kept eating him. <laughs> and you can't even stand and fight him back because of the rule Caleb made about stand and fight in neutral characters. That's so I true. guess he gets what he deserves. <laughs> you think he just figured out how to gracefully stand up again after stabbing his cloak into the ground? Probably so. A lot of times they release cards that don't make sense in the quest that they released, but he's amazing in the Fire in the Night quest itself because you're doing side quests rather than main quests throughout the throughout the scenario. Right. So. He will only have neutral resources, but he still readies. Yeah, you get the action advantage, neutral resources. Everybody wins. Mm-hmm. And then I like that he's a Dunedain because like, I I run the four-cost neutral Dunedain guy in my Dunedain deck. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. 
right, range card of Carla. Land. Yeah, same and stats, you can right? re- same stats, and then you can reduce them with your Era of Volandale. So he's right. almost worth it. Have they come into playability, and he doesn't. So it depends a little bit on what you're facing, but he's everything you want, I think. You could even put leather boots on him. For the Let's worst not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to ready himself anyway, so don't waste your ready on that. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on him? No, not really. You guys um, summed him up very well. I find when I've played him, I uh, use his resource to pay for Gandalf more often than not, which is mm-hmm. good because, um, you know, in the end game, cycling Gandalf, if you like to run one copy of Will of the West in every single deck, which I know you do, <laughs> he, can, he can help you to do that. And that's quite a powerful thing. Um, I have I have found though he keeps dying whenever I play him. <laughs> I don't know if it's some sort of encounter deck karma, but um, yeah, he keeps. Or is it usually subconscious, you're killing him on purpose. No, no. For I, honestly, I'm not. You. <laughs> no, I'm really trying not to. I'm just using him as an emergency defender, and he always mm-hmm. seems to get a shadow effect that gives the enemy plus two, which will kill it, right? Or kill him outright, rather. Um, and that's happened at least three times. I feel like this is more quicker than sight propaganda. Listeners need not actually believe this. <laughs> I almost said something. Um, it wasn't, but quicker than sight would have been very helpful in that situation. Just, just, to, just to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, I like it. You're paying four for two willpower and two attack most of the time. And uh, as you rightly said, Buzz, very good in fire in the night, which is the first time I use him. So yeah, I like it. We did it. We got through what do you think of the whole pack? It's a strong one. I mean, every single card we talked about, despite me dismissing Leather Boots, right? <laughs> and then there's a few more niche cards, deck-specific cards, I should say, like Forest Road Traveler, Quicken Insight, Bayorning. But they're all really good in the deck that they go in. Uh, and mm. I quite like that. So I think it's a great pack. In fact, one of my favorites in a while. I think that's happened for a lot of uh, the packs recently, where the cards are very powerful in the decks that they're supposed to go in. And uh, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's really good because there's not... We want to reduce the amount of auto-includes for all decks, right? So you have mm. variety in deck building. And I think the art is really strong in this pack. I'm just flicking through them. They all look awesome, really. Galleon is funny, but he's probably my least favorite. But yeah, you're right. We get Magali and the artist on Thalion. Those are my very favorites, too. I like yeah, Galleon. Karch. I don't know how to say that. Galleon is a weird one. He's got a very weird body shape. It's almost like an oblong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for drinking too much wine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's a collapsed chest or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I think we have belabored these cards enough. Um, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with some talk about Dale. All right, we are back, and we're looking at Dale. Dale just got a flood of cards in this current cycle. We had a few cards before, and most of them weren't very good. But we have this whole monster deck, and the elephant in the room is Dale is strong. Remarkably strong, and almost crazy strong. I was at, I have to tell this story to make myself look cool. I was at Gen Con last year, and I got the privilege of playing with Caleb Grace, and I pulled out my Dale deck. 
And I said, is Dale supposed to be this strong? It feels really strong. And he said, yeah, they're strong. I kind of figured I need to make these off kind of peripheral powers, if you will, plenty strong to make people want to play them. Everybody wants to play Rohan. Everybody wants to play Gondor. But Dale, people might not want to play that. So that was uh, part of his reasoning. Um, Ryan, do you want to kind of run down how Dale works? Yeah, well, congrats to Caleb because it worked. That's all I can say <laughs> to that story. Well done, I would say, because I think the current opinion in the community is probably unanimously that Dale is very strong. And um, we put together a list of strengths here. We may have overlooked one or two things, but I think from the very beginning, when you build the deck, it's quite easy to build it because two things are taken care of. One is the resource smoothing around attachments, which is what Dale wants to do because Bard Son of Brand kind of takes that problem away. And then the other one is draw, which Brand gives you. So it's very easy to deck build from the beginning because two of your heroes are doing things that make your life easy. And then King of Dale adds to that by removing the need to think about ally resource matching. So it's already um, easy to do. And the deck that I made using just the core set and Wilds of Rovanion, there are lots of different decks I've published on RingsDB that have taken a long time to refine. That one took me one day, (laughs) which is not very long in deck building time. I probably made that deck then change two cards and it was finished. So really easy to do. So they're good for new players as well. In terms of the actual allies and attachments, all the allies have got good stats is the first thing I would say about them. They've all got two health, I think. I don't think there are any one health Dale allies, uh, which um, compared to something like Sylvan already puts them up a notch because Sylvan get absolutely owned by treacheries that do blanket damage. Um, and it means they're good in a lot of different quests where you need to soak up damage, like the archery focus quest they can hold their own there Uh, they can defend very well because some of those allies have got three health particularly the sentry he's a very good defender he might be the best defending ally in the game he's certainly being with a shout i would say there Um, and they don't really have any stinkers in terms of allies either there's only one and that's the raven hill scout but he's an anomaly because he was released in the second cycle before i would imagine dale was even planned as a build so he doesn't really count. All the others are good, at least good to amazing. Um, and then they've got really strong willpower as well. <laughs> so they can take on most quests. They top out around 20, I would say, most of the time. Um, if not more, if you're running more allies, you can go for a narrow kind of build focused around the Guardian of Esgaroth and some other allies. Or you can go very wide and have lots of allies with one attachment each including the Guardian of Esgaroth, who will still be all right. He'll still quest for three with just one attachment. Um, So they're really strong in every single area of the game, I would say. And then a lot of the attachments are cheap as well, cost one, so they're not difficult to get down. And the deck overall is very well balanced, so they can take on a good range of quests. Um, I've beaten a lot of different quests with just the starter for Dale deck, including tough stuff like the Three Trials. So they're a nice solo deck, and they're a nice deck to bring to multiplayer as well. So um, I'm sure there are some things I miss, but I feel like they're just very good across the board. They have answers to most everything, don't they? Mm. And they're fun to play. They're very fun. So th- what is the fun part? Owning quests. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the uh, fiddling with attachments, moving them around, bouncing them yeah. back. 
drawing lots of cards is also the fun part. That was the first thing I sort of that dawned on me when I played them first time. I was like, wow, I'm getting so many cards with this deck. It's mm. it's brilliant. One of the fun things for me when I when I played the Dell deck that I've uh, I've got was um it was almost kind of like a mini game trying to fix where the attachments were, put them on the right guys. Because at the start, you just kind of like vomit in them out, just get them on whoever. I want the card draw. I'll sort it out later. <laughs> and then you do start trying to sort it out, and it's quite it's quite fun. It's quite like a little sort of mini game. It's like, oh, no, this attachment will be better on him. And, and you can do it as well sort of like in the combat phase. It's like, well, I need this. I need someone to defend for four, a minimum of four defense. I've only got this guy at three, but if I move this around here and get him up to four, like, you know, it, there's a lot of, like, I found that quite a fun, fun experience sort of like as a, um, as I was playing through the deck. It doesn't feel difficult to do that either. It's not as if you are going out of your way and slowing yourself down when I've needed yeah. to rearrange attachments. It just, you can do it very easily. I didn't find, I've had games where I couldn't do it very easily because I couldn't find the Long Lake Trader. In fact, actually, it was really weird. And the game um, uh, that I played most recently with it, uh, I've got the um, side quest where you can fetch a card in there, um, gather information. And um, I grabbed the Long Lake Trader over, and I didn't even have a Guardian of Escarab at that moment because it was more important for me to try and fix the attachments that were on the board than it was to like build up a Guardian, which... um, was an interesting decision. I really didn't think I'd make it when I was going through my deck. I, I automatically picked up the Art Guardian Vestcraft and I was like, oh, no, I need a second. So if you don't have like the Long Lake Trader, it can be a bit tricky to fix the uh, attachments. There is another one as well. Um, that I think you want to talk about a little bit later, but I wasn't running that in my deck, the event. Um, bartering? Bartering, because it's law and uh, the Dale deck that I was running didn't have any law. So not only do they have brute level stats, right? They have some tricky, fun things you can do, right? Yeah. Lots of decisions, and I like that. There is another weakness that I found in the Dell deck that I was playing, and that was I did find it incredibly easy to defend. Like, it was just stupid. Like, you just didn't even have to think about it. Like, there was, like, six six guys all attacking for five. I was like, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. But, <laughs> and I found it incredibly easy to quest as well. I was like, yeah, I'm questing for 20 and defending five guys. Uh, but I did find it hard to kill stuff because I because it's a, um, I was playing a variant of a deck that, um, uh, that Chad had put on RingsDB, which is um, Arwen is the third hero. And I think the third hero changes the deck quite a bit. Probably not having played any other variant of Dell. This is the only Dell deck that I've played, but um, I should imagine it probably changes the feel of the deck quite a bit. Um, and with this deck, I was struggling to kill stuff. Not like like a crazy struggle. Like it wasn't like it was more of a oh well, I just won't use the guardian to defend. I'll just chuck that guy that um, the long lake fisherman. I'll just chuck him under the bus instead. And then, Fair and then I get to attack. Yeah, <laughs> and then I get to attack with the guardian and, and use his damage instead of his defense. So it wasn't like it wasn't like a really like oh this could this is like going to lose me the game. It was just something that I found killing the enemies that I was engaged with. I found that more difficult than I did any other area of the game for this deck. Is it different if you change the third hero and you add a bit more punch into the deck? Because obviously the the main attacker is the warrior of Dale. And you put the bow on him, but he's still only really hitting for four. Then, so he's hitting for three plus a damage. So he's hitting for four, and it is ranged, which is nice. But there isn't like a lot of it. Do you know what I mean? And and four is is a it's a decent amount, but it's not 
going to probably kill something by itself if it's a decent enemy. Um, so that's something that I found that I was struggling with this specific deck. Is is that something that you guys have struggled with, or is that something that changes quite dramatically with a different third hero? I was going to say, I don't know that a hero adds a lot of attack power, but they get their attack power in a couple different From, yeah. small ways, like the the outriders that don't exhaust a quest can throw in a, an attack power, or if okay. you have the bow of you on them, yeah, uh, then you get the direct damage. So they're certainly not the highest attack spike, but I, I don't feel like I've had trouble clearing enemies most of the time. Maybe a little less attack power than my Sylvan deck, for example, but... I, it might be a little bit skewed for me because it is just against Poros, which does have some pretty tough dudes to take down. But um, but yeah, that was something that I was just noticing. I was just I was feeling it was it was it was easy to defend. It was easy to quest, like stupidly easy. But when it came to attacking, I definitely had to either chump to get the kill, or um, or there was there was more decision around that area. It was, it was finding it more difficult to clear the enemies that I was engaged with. How about you, Ray? You played a lot of. Have you found that to be the case with your deal deck? Uh, um, not really. I, I I agree with Buzz there. I tend to find that I can muster a you know a bunch of smaller dudes to chip in along with maybe one or two of the Warrior of Dales. I only run those as a two of normally the Warrior of Dale because that's the ally you usually want to see last. You want to get your King of Dale first before you see him, and he's usually hitting for what is it three with the bow and one direct damage, and as two of those giant bear. yeah two two of those plus some chuds is um enough to take down most stuff so i haven't had that it might just be that one game you played liam maybe were you running the warrior of dale i only had one of them tooled up the other one i couldn't find the second bow for like you i was running two um and yeah and it was like that was the way i was killing stuff so it was basically i wouldn't quest with a couple of chuds that were only questing for one anyway because they didn't have an attachment for whatever reason and um and then i would add just a couple of extra points of damage with the four attack from the warrior would normally take someone down. But I, I think it might have just been porous as well, because like you were in, there was times where you were engaged with like four or five enemies. So it was, it was just a bit more to it than that. And I think probably against other quests, you haven't got really those types of issues or not as extreme anyway. The way that it was coming across to me was that it was a more defensive deck than offensive. The way I kind of like to build is to focus on defense before attacking. And I think that, from the deck I've been playing with and built up, it has a lot more defense than attack, and that's security for me. I want to be able to survive before I can start killing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, you can start using the, if you run the cloak, the spare hood and cloak, you can start getting double use out of either your attacker or your big guardian of Eskaroth. You can defend and then attack with him as well. But yeah, I think attack is the last thing that comes into play in the versions I've played, but I feel like they have plenty when it comes down to it. Mm. Especially when the I mean the Guardian of Esgrath is is an absolutely hilarious ally. Like it's <laughs> stupid what that guy can get up to. Like honestly, it is it is I didn't really appreciate it when you guys were talking about it and I hadn't played Dale yet and you were like fawning over him completely. And I was I was sort of sat there, I was like, Oh yeah, it does sound like, you know, a pretty sort of fringe case if you get to that point, but it would be really funny to get to that point. No, you can literally just do that by turn two quite often. Turn Free. You've got this guy with free attachments, questing without exhausting um, by using um, what is it? Oh, the uh, yeah, yeah. And so he's questing for like four or five, and then do either defending for a bonkers amount or hitting for four or five. And it was funny because at one point I was like, 
oh, I, I really don't want to, um, before I had like a Valiant on one of them, I was like, oh, I don't want to quest. I want to hold him back because, but it feels like a bit of a waste because he's questing for so much and he's not hitting for quite the same amount. And Steve, who I was playing with, was just like, Liam, he's hitting for the same amount as Ally Gandalf. Like he is hitting for a large amount. You kind of get, you kind of get a bit sort of numb to the numbers when they're that high. You're just like, oh no, you know, it's, he's only hitting for four. Like, you know, he's questing for five though. So I kind of want to use him to quest. But it, he is just a silly, silly ally. I'm glad there's a limit of three on him. He, he is just crazy and he's not hard to set up that's what got me i was thinking when you guys were talking about him and hadn't played him i was like i bet this is a combo that's a little bit tricky to set up it's not i never thought that for about the same resource cost you get overhill and underhill gandalf with uh guardian of eskaroth but that's exactly what it is without the threat race mm-hmm. mm. times three yeah it's well. not even unique <laughs> Yeah, Joseph, the- Joseph tried to send me a Dale deck today that only had two of those uh, Valiant Determinations, and I feel like that's not enough. <laughs> well, I didn't appreciate it to start with, and Ryan made fun of me, so I put two in, but I can't put three in, otherwise I'll have to say he's totally right. Which I- <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't have that. <laughs> no, it is good. <laughs> yeah, that Guardian of Scroth, you just put like just the wild stallion on it and he's a four three 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 yeah that's too many threes but or if you put the valiant determination and the stallion on him he's five four 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 with no exhaust and you got three of them questing for 15 and then smashing up the combat round it's just it's it's bonkers it's really get those three (laughs) and the three lookouts going then you're questing for well, let's say you'd have the guardians up to four each that's 12 plus three each on the uh, lookouts, that's 21 mm. without exhausting a character. <laughs> that's late game, but still, it's not too shabby. Yeah, it really isn't. I think um, the attachments are worth chatting about because, um, and I think it might might touch back onto what I, I might sort of explain why I was feeling that it was more of a defensive deck than a attack deck. Most of the attachments in the deck that I, I run, apart from like a handful, are geared towards like buffing the defense stats up. And there are some attachments that do like the map and things like that, uh, that do buff like the questing, um, the willpower. Um, and there is the bow that does the damage, but they are less, there's much, much less of them when you start throwing all the attachments around you're more likely to have thrown a defensive attachment than anything mm-hmm. else yeah the hobbroker male just does a lot doesn't it mm. and if you have an ancestral armor on the guardian of escroth that goes crazy fast too doesn't it yeah so who do you put king of dale on and what two attachments or maybe one do you like to add to that hero so that you can get the good discounts of king of dale I usually put it on the spirit guy, but I don't think it matters because it doesn't require but it's, a spirit match anyway. All right, it's a spirit match. It sort of matters though because you're also then going to add an, another attachment That's at true. least to him, maybe a, maybe a third. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it was it was a question that I had when I first started playing the deck. I was like, oh, I don't. Who should I be trying to like buff slightly? I found that I was, I found that once I had so much money, it was just I could just play anything that I drew anyway. Like I was removing attachments from the guy who had King of Dale and just getting like a one discount. But yeah, it was an interesting uh, thing that came up early for me that I was a bit unsure on. How's your deck look, Buzz? In terms of King of Dale placement, or just right. generally speaking, or general. I was I was put Bard in the center 
that's where he belongs in my three heroes and he has the king of dale and i don't really know why i think i just thought i'm going to put a lot of resources on this guy to use his attachment ability and didn't even think about the fact that he never like you don't have to pay from his resource pool with king of dale <laughs> um, and then i'm a creature of habit so he's always had the king of dale but I also like to get the Necklace of Girion, which we were talking about guarded attachments before, but I do run one of those in my Dale deck because if you can get it on to that hero in particular, he's questing for five, which is quite nice, getting an extra resource and then the ability to improve the discounts. So I do tend to toss him over there, but I also agree with Liam when he's saying that after a while, it just doesn't matter. You have enough money and you end up not needing it. Are you guys going easy mode and putting a Steward of Gondor in or just relying on the discounts and the traffic from Dale. I personally just use traffics and King of Dale, and I find that it's fine. I've more recently curved my ally cost down quite a bit as well. And, you know, you guys were talking about running two of the warriors. I think that's the right number, you know, only one or two of the three cost spirit ally. Uh, And you can just buy what you draw. So I don't think it needs Stuart at all. Yeah, I think it can function just fine without it. And it's nice as well, because that lets someone else have Stuart if you're playing more exactly. player. And that also gives you more room in your deck to fit even more cool stuff in that helps. If you can help not using Stuart, I think it feels good to not, right? Stuart, Stuart is definitely a crutch, and it feels a bit weird having it in certain decks. I've gone full <laughs> circle. I've, I've embraced the dark side, and um, <laughs> I, I'm, I've gone through that period of avoiding Stuart, and I'm now back in the period of embracing Stuart. And uh, I like to put Stuart on Bard, because it means I can play the stallion much more easily. Mm-hmm. I don't need to manage that because the stallion's not a Dale ally. So right, that is annoying. Yeah, you have to you have to hardcast it. Yeah, although the definition of annoying in a Dale deck is more like a mild <laughs> inconvenience. Like, ah, oh, I can't get play this four hours this turn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What do you mean I have to pay for this? <laughs> yeah, I can only I draw one to- card. What? So um, I was playing last night and uh, I was playing with the Dale deck and I was trying really hard to think of like things that were bad with it or things that annoyed me. So, I mean, like, I mean, I, I, I came up with the, the, you know, the lack of damage thing. The only other thing I could possibly think, and it's so mild, it's ridiculous, but without any ways to heal the allies, if you start getting a little bit of chip damage on some of your defenders and then you try and move around some of the attachments, you got to be really careful. You don't just insta-kill your guy by taking a load of hit points <laughs> off of him. That's like, that was it's such a mild thing, but like, it was like, it's quite hard to think of bad things about this deck. It's a really, really good deck. Are there really any weaknesses to speak of or is it more minor inconveniences, do you think, Joseph? I would say... Mostly they're inconveniences. I think Ryan built up a nice list of inconveniences or weaknesses. But if you're talking about Dale specifically, some of the holes they have is no healing. But like we already said, they have hit points. So you often don't need that. They have no threat reduction either built into anything. But um, usually starting around 28 to 30 will uh, threat. So, I mean, I just played through the entire seven quest that we have right now the cycle with no threat reduction with the deck and never threaded out take it back I access- quit one game when i hit 40 threat and still hadn't found a stupid loot in uh framsburg but <laughs> i threaded out in framsburg last time i played it but i think that's a weakness with framsburg and not with the dale deck to be honest yeah and with and with access to spirit you can if you want to put threat reduction in you can yeah easy yeah uh ryan starter for dale deck 
Uh, it's now on the, what, close to the first page of the Hall of Fame, right? It has a couple copies of Gladrum's Greeting, and you can easily play those by the late to mid-game and stay in a really easy place. Brian, what would be the highlights of your weakness section here? Um. I feel like a lot of these weaknesses I've listed apply to a lot of decks. So I was scraping the barrel a bit here, but the ones I said, so some of them are quest dependent. So for example, the heroes are a bit squishy, so it can be difficult to do an early game defense sometimes if you get something nasty engage, but that can apply to a lot of decks. I would say. But three Um, hit points for all those heroes is definitely worth considering. Yeah. And and that's, that's one of the reasons I like Berevore with them is um, because she can take a hit, usually. She can survive, what, a five attack hit mm-hmm. or a three attack undefended, which is nice. And none of the Dale heroes can do that. Right. When I say Dale heroes, I mean Bard, Brand, and Lanwin. I'm not including Bard the Bowman because he's not actually Dale. He's only Asgaroth. Asgaroth, right. Yeah. Um, so I was, yeah, I was scraping the barrel a bit. So things like... Anything that puts serious hate on non-uniques. But then all ally swarms have got that problem. So that doesn't really you know, count, I would say. Uh, then I was thinking about specific cards. So Dale tends to rely on non-unique allies for defense. And there is the odd quest that can punish that quite severely. Uh, I think we were playing the seventh level recently. And there's a sudden pitfall which discards the defender if it's an ally. And we had to mulligan that shadow effect. <laughs> <laughs> because if that I think happens, it discards the defender in any case. Ah, does it? I, I, I thought it was so. if it, if the defender's non-unique, discard it, and then in which case you're taking an undefended attack off one of those goblins that's now hitting for five, and that's basically here right. as well. That's so how that. quest will get you. There are some shadow cards as well that get a serious boost if the defender's non-unique. There's one nightmare card from the three trials, which is plus 10 attack if the defender is non-unique, which is ridiculous. I'm not even sure Guardian of Esgroth could survive that one. <laughs> well, they might be able to if he's got seven defenders. probably the one ally that could. Yeah. Stick the ancestral armor on him, and he could potentially tank that. That's like an achievement. Wind Whipped Rain from the Hobbit saga as well would discard all your attachments. Um, but I think there you just play carefully and try to get through the first stage really quickly. I'm thinking of Misty Mountains Grim is where that always hits me, that card. Yeah, most of the other ones, like you said, no no threat reduction or healing, but that's most of the time not needed. Uh, I did say they're quite reliant on King of Dale, especially Cod Sphere. So if you happen to draw the tactics guy before you get King of Dale, it can be annoying. And that's why I think Berevor and Galadriel are especially good for Dale because you need to get through the deck and find those cards. Galadriel draws one, but also with the mirror, they can shuffle the deck up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I generally just run two of the Tactics Ally. And some decks I've actually dropped him altogether just because the Guardian's so beefy. You don't need the Warrior anymore. That's true. I think one thing I would say that we haven't touched on is that I think playing a Dale deck is a little bit like building a house. You need to put some foundations down, get the attachments in the right place. And if you come up against a quest that doesn't give you time to do that or doesn't let you do it, like, say, the Dunland Trap, (laughs) they will struggle more than, say, a deck that is built around three heavy-hitting heroes and doesn't care about what it draws Right. I'm thinking of something like Bayon, Kirdan, and Baragon there, something like that, where you just got high numbers, very focused 
roles for each character that can survive against a quest like that. Whereas Dale needs to get the pieces where it wants. And if, Ooh. if a, if a tough quest starts to mess around with that, something like attack on Dolguldur, which is just difficult for a lot of different decks. But if you get hit early with an enemy, then it can be very difficult. I think that's been my experience. What about you? Yeah, I sort of agree. I think they can get a pretty solid board state on turn one if you're lucky. But more likely you're going to get one ally out and two attachments on your heroes. But you can still quest for six at least, which is a pretty solid number. But yeah, you're really starting to see a good board state by turn three. And the ally and the heroes don't do much besides quest. Yeah. All the passive effects, which are huge. I did find that it could, like, in a couple of games that I played, um, it, it, it could potentially... I didn't have Berivor. Berivor was being used um, by another player. So I, I didn't have, like, access to, like, the immediate card draw. Um, and I did find it could stall out. If you were down to drawing, like, uh, two cards a turn um, with Arwen um, and, um, like, the card you draw anyway, and then um, discarding and drawing off of uh, Elven Light, then um, I felt like it could stall. Like if it went like ally, ally, and you weren't getting the attachments so that you could chain the attachments and keep drawing. Um, it, it, there was a couple of games where I had like maybe two, two turns, three turns in a row where it was a little bit slow, but I'd already built up such a good board by that point that it wasn't really a massive issue, but I, it was something that I'd noticed. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that should lead into a discussion of the third hero because that can make a difference for card draw there's been a bunch of different decks published the deck like we said kind of builds itself especially when the deluxe first came out but that third hero option is really up for grabs what do you like for a third hero buzz or what have you tried um the one that i've used the most is barifor i think she's really good because of the turn one burst card draw Hit points early, just like Ryan was saying. Uh, but I also think access to lore is pretty much a must for a couple of reasons. Um, not so much for the Long Lake Traders, because you can get those in with the King of Dale anyway, and not so much for the maps, because you can pay for those with Bard anyway. But, you know, Ryan paid me to come on and agree with his opinions, and his opinion is that bartering <laughs> is one of the must have Dale cards, and agree. You know, Liam was just talking about what it's like to try to, when you stall out on your deck and you can't get the quite right mix of ally attachment, uh, bartering solves that for you. Bartering lets you play a turn one King of Dale, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Bartering lets you move an attachment around, which is amazing. Bartering lets you draw a card again, which is amazing. And so you just, in my view, pretty much have to have three barterings in your Dale deck. So I use Barivor. I could see Galadriel. Um because you can give her lore access with her ring. Um, although card slots would be tight, double spirit wouldn't be horrible for Dale, I don't think. And then built-in card draw and threat reduction is really nice. Um, those are the two that I've tried, but uh, I thought Verivore was much better than Galadriel. About you, what have you tried, Joe? Verivore and Galadriel are probably my top picks as well, just mainly for that card draw. And Verivore's card draw, is, like you said, is twice as good. Galadriel does keep the threat down on the deck the entire game, but once you have a massive army of fat stats, you don't care about that. So that value is decreased a little bit. 
early on, I built a Aerostore deck and it actually works pretty good because of all the discounts you get and the smoothing you get. But it can have a pretty lousy couple first turns if you don't get cards that help. But yeah, I think Ryan hit it right on when he built that Bearvore version and I just haven't been able to get away from that juicy card draw. In fact, it's opened me it's just opened my eyes to the power of Bearvore and I've started to put her in all sorts of decks and <laughs> she's awesome. I took a Bearvore deck. Uh, I think I had her in a Dunedain build to the Fellowship event most recently, six months ago in Mountain View. And I was playing with my oldest son, and he was running a Dwarf Swarm. And I was using Burrowboard to draw him two cards every turn. It was amazing. She might yeah. be the most underrated hero, although maybe kind of rising in people's estimation because of how well she works in Dale. I've also seen people use Lanwin for the theme of it. I don't think she has enough power and doesn't round out the weaknesses of the deck enough for me. And then I've seen people use Galdor. And Galdor's interesting because you can really dig for your turn one uh, King of Dale. If you don't want to do like Liam does and hard mulligan for Eldorian, <laughs> you can <laughs> you can use your Galdor. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can dig um, a little deeper. And then, of course, like the once per game, fill your hand is nice, especially if you stall out like he was talking about. So, I mean, I think there's some good options, but I personally like lore and draw, and that's where I'm at. Galdor, just have to mention, I built a deck with him in it too, and it works pretty good, but the speed you get through the deck and the value of every, every single card in the deck, I begrudge throwing anything in the discard pile. So that first uh, sifting through your cards, I just don't want to throw anything away, because I know by turn eight, I can have every card in play. Did you run your trademark one Will of the West? I did until Ryan shamed me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I I'm ran sorry. Galdor, I would run Wills of the West just to keep, because as you say, you can draw and play pretty much everything pretty fast. And so yeah. Will of the West becomes not a bad shout, I think, in a Dale deck in some ways. Um, yeah. I, I played two originally, and then I dropped one for some Shadow Cancellation. Um, I didn't find when I had two, I, I mean, like, I used it once, and that was purely because I could and it was there was nothing else to do really like I had loads of money and it just was like oh yeah I'll just buy this guy who died early on and just whatever I just it was just some random random Dale ally that wasn't even particularly needed the board state was so strong but I had so much money and I was just trying to play my hand as fast fast as possible so when I went down to one I could see it being kind of useful if um if you know you were to lose one of those guardians and you really want them back but it is quite a luxury card it's not it's not really super neat um for anything or i i I also found that i would when i was running just one of um and again it was it was just a luxury i was bringing back like long lake fisherman just to draw some more cards and um he was used as a chump at some point so i was like oh i'll just bring him back and you know guess a number and uh and draw that what numbers have you guys been guessing? Because I've been trying variations of one and two, but three is a really good guess as well. Um, and so zero. It's kind of weird. <laughs> have you guys got one that you're sort of uh, stuck? At, fir- at first, I was quite happy with two, and then uh, and then I tried one, and it worked really well. And then when you're flicking between them, quite often the one that you were thinking of doing anyway is much better. <laughs> but, um, have, you guys, have you guys got any numbers that you like to, to consistently call with, um, with Long Lake Fisherman? For me, it depends on what I need at the time. If I if mm. I haven't found King of Dale, I'll call two almost always. 
if I need an ally, I'll call two. If I need an attachment, I'll call one. Um, so it just kind of depends. I think I was playing Fire in the Night earlier. I do think that I called one, and I was really sad because I could have taken a Guardian of Eskaroth with that dig, but I got a Test of Will instead, so that wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I like that it is flexible. It finds you what kind of what you need, and then mm. go digging a little bit deeper. I, and, I, I and actually what, tried running the uh, Heed the Dreams in there too, a little bit, just to try to find King of Dale as fast as possible. Uh, kind of a similar effect. But I ended up cutting those because I think the fishermen do the trick, and you'd rather have an attachment rather than an extra event in the Dale deck. Mm. I don't run the fishermen. I don't like him. <laughs> don't like him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's really good for finding King of Dale, but you might as well just draw more cards in my opinion. And he doesn't do anything afterwards except for get chumped because he's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) That's my brutal, almost three o'clock opinion. But he could draw you attachments, which allow you to draw more cards again. Or you could just play Barrevoir and draw cards. Yeah, but if you're not playing Barrevoir. But yeah, I know what you're saying. (laughs) I play both Barrevoir and the Fisherman, so I draw even more. (laughs) Do you like the Fisherman, Ryan? Um, I have used him in one deck. Yeah, I used him in a uh, cloak deck, but he was quite new, so I wanted to play around with him. Uh, I think he can be helpful just to shuffle the deck in those rare cases where you end up with three King of Dale on the bottom, which is you don't know that. So you never know if it helps or not. Um, well, if you, if it's taken too long to find it, I mean. But still, the likelihood of it being the next card is just the same as the likelihood of it being the bottom card. So you might feel good well, shuffling, but it doesn't technically help. Um, well, it will if they're all stuck at the bottom, because it will move them around. But it but might you the know the bottom. You don't uh, know that. Yeah, it, it, it might, yeah. Well, Ryan looks at the bottom card of his deck. I think well, that's what we're finding out. <laughs> Picks the deck up. Off. Have a quick look. Yeah. <laughs> I'll shuffle that. <laughs> yeah. If you are able to look with a Stargazer or something, then it becomes valuable. But other than that, it's just a shuffled deck doesn't make a difference unless you've seen it. He's not one I usually include in all Dale decks. Because um, I think you're right, he doesn't do a lot after you've played him. Mm. He quests for two. If you have an attachment on him, but he doesn't yeah, have one, any one discount one. for attachments, and no attachment really. There's no interaction with an attachment after that. Yeah, I just chump him once he's done. <laughs> it's like, see ya. Or you, can, or you can chuck in one attack. Like, I normally keep him ready. Or, well, or he's a spare hood and cloak guy, maybe. Just because he's crummy. Yeah, just because you're not going to do anything else with him. <laughs> I've, I've, the first time I played Sparehood and Cloak, I put it on my Long Lake Trader, thinking I wouldn't be using him that much. Um, that was a big mistake. I didn't get Sparehood and Cloak that entire game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just quick on that. Heroes, the other heroes I've seen used are Theodred for the resource acceleration, Baragon for early game defense, which is kind of nice, but he doesn't really help with the. He does do the double spirit. I'm talking about spirit version, and he can use some of those attachments, but he doesn't help with our draw. I saw a couple with Aragorn, but <laughs> it's been long enough since I wrote these notes that I forget which Aragorn that was. I think it was a lower one. That could work, although the threat reduction doesn't seem... Sword that was broken, though. <laughs> that was Send yourself Stratosphere, yeah. Quest for 60. <laughs> I um I have to echo what you guys said about Lanwin. I'm I'm really not convinced by Lanwin in a Dale deck. 
yeah, I played a couple of versions with her in it, and I think she's mostly a multiplayer hero anyway because of her ability. But yeah, you can place Bow on her for free. She'll draw you a card, but then she's just questing or she's attacking. And sometimes both, but you don't yep. generally need the extra three. You'd rather have the rounding out of your weaknesses, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I must have a hit point hero, which is not good. I haven't tried her, but um, just on paper, I don't like the look of it. It seems to me like you'll fall into top decking with that build, personally. I might be wrong. If people are playing it successfully, then that's cool. Uh, so I, I, I should think you're strong enough you can afford to, but I don't think it's your strongest choice. But it's fun to be thematic, so I'm sure people are having really good Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Has anybody posted a Gandalf hero Dale deck? I wonder if that would be good. I don't think so. I looked through, like, I searched for all the decks that had Bard and Brand in them because I feel like that is what makes a Dale deck a Dale deck. And there wasn't as much variety as I thought. There was these heroes, and that was about it. That would be tricky because he makes everything better, but he requires so much card slots to making him better that you may not have the space to fit all the Dale tech that you need at the ratios that you need it. You know, like I almost never runs. You know, I never run Sneak Attack Gandalf in my Dale decks because I don't feel like I have the space. I wonder if I was going for absolute power if I would or not. But yeah, thinking about Narya or the staff for more draw, and then obviously playing off the top of your deck gives you even that smoothing. Maybe you probably wouldn't run Shadowfax. Yeah, probably wouldn't run Shadowfax in a in a Dale deck, or maybe you might. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it. What do you know? Just having a look here. Somebody has, somebody's posted one. He's also decent to defend early as well, instead of to risk Dale here. Like turn Five one, turn two. Is high threat if you're looking at uh, like 33, 34 threat. Or 32. I was just about to ask Ryan if he was going to be afraid of the high starting threat. Nah, nah bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see this Gandalf deck. It's called the Council of Dale by Thalia. The, hero? the Steadfast. Uh, Bard, son of Bran, Bran, son of Bane, and Gandalf. I don't see it. There you go. Yeah, deck. It's probably good. It does start at 33, but you've got the equipment to handle it. Nice. Let's talk Ally Wigloff, because uh, I, when I first read him, um, when we were doing the reviews and hadn't played Dale yet, I thought he was a really cool guy. Like I thought it made sense. It fitted in with the, what Dale was trying to do. Expensive, but you get the discounts to play him. Um, so I put one of them in, and um, he came out a number of times um, in the games that I played, and he never got an attachment once. I just don't feel like I wanted to put attachments on him, really. I was like, oh, I, I want to keep building up my Guardians, or, um, you know, I really need a bit of questing, so I need a, a bit more quest um, punch. And, uh, yeah, he just sort of sat there and would just end up being a chump a lot of the time. He'd take two <laughs> defenses and die. Five and was, <laughs> Yeah, five-cross chump, basically. So um, I think I would cut him, um, and I was, a, I was a bit of a shame. And I think it's a shame for him because um, – He's not a bad card. Like, he's not a bad card. It's just that Dale has much better cards. And that's saying something. Exactly. He's overshadowed. Like, he's... And that's saying something. It kind of reminds me a little bit of... Um, what's the Outlands um, guy uh, who readies every time? Every phase? Fall on Fall on the fire. He sort of reminds me a little bit of that, where he, he is expensive. He's got a great ability... But actually, do you really need it in the deck that he's in? Because everything else is just going off. 
Do you know what I mean? It's um, yeah, and, and I think Furlong's better than him in terms mm. of of you know wanting to see him on the table. But um, yeah, it was a little bit um, a little bit sad for him. He's definitely getting cut. So it was only one of them anyway. So <laughs> have you guys had any success with him, or have you even put attachments on him? Never even included him because I think he's overcosted for what he does, and mm. the attachments you can attach to him don't really help him do what you need like because you'd likely want to play like a ancestral armor is kind of the dream but then he still only is a three defense defender which isn't even as good as your redwater sentry so (laughs) unfortunately you have to leave him on the shelf because he doesn't help you ramp up as you were saying there's just so many more better efficient low-cost cards you'd rather have in the place you know knight of dale was in all of my early decks also the four cost guy that readies himself and they all ended up getting cut as well there's just so much gold at the two cost ally. It's tough to look at four or five cost allies. There's a new four cost spirit ally also. And I don't know that that will make the cut. I want to talk about him. Had success with him. I, I do like him. I was, I decided not to like him, but then I put him in and I, he's, I just put one copy in and he's not amazing, but he's fun. And he's, he's not bad. I mean, if you pay two for him, and they don't have to be spirit resources with King of Dale. And you can put anything on him, basically, for almost for free, except for your ancestral armor, assuming you're running the standards, which would be the map, Hauberk, or of you, yeah, Squire's Helm will work on him. Uh, the Warrior Sword does not. Ancestral armor works does not work on him either. But most of the attachments you put on him work there. I, fa- I mean... Your warrior already has a discount, which doesn't help much, and your Redwater Sentry already have a discount. So most of the time, you're getting the discount anyway. But if you can drop an attachment on him for free, and then move it over, and then do it again, he's constant card draw. He's usually questing for two or three, or he can be a backup defender with a Hobrick with three, which you usually don't need. But then you can do weird stuff like you can drop an attachment on him for free, and then you can barter it back to your hand, and then play out your Ancestral Armor at a discount on your Redwater Sentry for only two. I had fun with him, even though he's... I mean, yeah, like you said, with all the gold there, it's hard to take the silver. Mm-hmm. But he's been fun for me. I put one in my deck. I can't believe the fisherman died for this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fisherman's dead. <laughs> um, the other the other ally that I'd like to uh, very briefly touch on, who... Um, who I just came to really love was the Rovanian Outrider. That's, she's really good. Like a couple of her and you're clearing out like locations in the staging area very like comfortably. And, um, you know, she's questing for two, if it's not cleared three, if you've got a map of Rovanian on her. And, um, I thought she was really good. I think it's a bit tricky if you've got, um, her and North realm lookout. It's like, where does the map go? goes on the north realm lookout probably because that's one of the things is is that there isn't enough of the sort of uh, questing attachments to go around really once you start getting all the questing allies out um but i thought she was really really good even without an attachment actually and um obviously three is quite expensive but um but you're rarely paying full cost for any of these allies anyway um do you guys have any thoughts on on her or north realm lookout run two in my current dale build and uh I like that she can clear the staging area of locations, just like you're speaking about. So she's great value, especially with the native discount. I think it's like a hair overcosted in like a generic deck. And so given the Dell synergy, I think 
she's a good shout. But I'm tempted to go down to one, I think, or almost zero. I was thinking I really need to raise my level of attachments in the deck versus the number of allies, and you got to make some cuts. And it's just too hard to cut the two-cost guys. The threes have got to go. Yeah, it's true, because I was finding that I was having more allies and attachments. I had a little like pile of, of allies that were just questing for one. Um, because I just didn't have enough attachments to put on them, or it didn't make sense to put the attachments that I had on them. Yeah, um, yeah. apart the from guardians the guardians are so hungry. Mm. So you really need like six more attachments than you have allies, especially if you mm. have one attachment per hero. So it's important to get your ratio right. I really like the Mariner's Compass on the questing allies. It's a card that doesn't do something every turn. Like the map consistently gives you one extra willpower, basically one progress every turn. But the Mariner's Compass can get you out of some sticky situations. And then you have you can put those maps on their Outriders if you're using them. And I like the Outrider because it has that two attack. So if you need the quest, you can do it. If you need the attack, you can hold it back. But yeah, it is over uh, overcosted compared to the insanity of the others. Anybody with me on the Compass? I've not tried it, but I saw it in your deck list. And I think I'm going to put it in and try it out. I mean, we just said we're looking for more attachments. It's nice to get a native leadership attachment that you can pay for. I think leadership resources tend to build up at times, especially if you use like a traffic to push out some of your leadership allies. Sometimes you have leftovers. Um, and there's so many nasty locations in this cycle. Yeah. Oh, like the Hills of Wilderland would be amazing to hit with a compass. So yeah. I'll give it a shot. I think I'm going to make that adjustment. In that journey up to Anduin, that compass did exactly that, saved our bacon by getting rid of the hills in the mid-game when we were struggling for willpower. Swapped it for a Banks of the Anduin. No better trade. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Um, What are some of the allies you've... I guess we already talked about what we don't run. Who runs the Raven Hill Scout? Nobody ever. (laughs) Children <laughs> Lookout doesn't really fit either because it's just secrecy. Knight of Dale, we've discussed, he's multi-purpose, but there's so many specialized ones that he's uh, eclipsed. And the Ravonian Outrider is kind of a iffy one that can be okay. Um, but you mentioned running one. I would run two, if anything, because the effect kind of snowballs. If you can put two progress out of turn, mm. you can get rid of that location. But if you're putting one out of turn, it's not really impactful, in my opinion. But the gold is really those uh, ones from the deluxe box, the lookout, Redwater Sentry, Warrior of Dale, and then the Guardian of Eskaroth would be the other crazy one, right? Yeah. I mean, those Guardians have helped me blow through so many quests recently. I mean, it's my go-to deck to pick up out of my deck box and just push out and win a quest, which kind of made me think, and I'd be curious you guys' opinion on this matter. Do you think that a Dale deck, if you're just trying to build it for strict power, is the strongest deck that you can build right now of decks that focus on ally type swarms. So like not necessarily C stands one deck, Vilia deck, but of a deck like this, is it stronger than outlands? Is it stronger than dwarves? Is it stronger than uh, Sylvan? Those kind of in theme. I'd be curious to see your opinion before I share mine. Do you think it's the strongest? I think it's, um, I think outlands is the easiest out of those ones that you described to play and get to that power level. Uh, because you just vomit stuff out and everything just buffs itself and you just don't have to really do it. The only management of that deck is how do you draw as many cards as you can 
and how do you get as many resources as you can? That's that's literally the only decision points in that deck. It all just plays itself. I think that deck, to be honest, even still today, is was my go-to deck. If I'm really struggling with something, I'm like, no, I just I really want to just smash it. Then I would go Outlands. Mm-hmm. I've got a very good dwarf deck that is that is of similar sort of like a flip between those two. But I think Dale definitely fits in there. Whether it's the whether it's stronger than those two. I haven't played the version of it that you guys are talking about with Berivor, and I would need to play that to decide because the one with Arwen um, is a fantastic deck, super fun to play, but I don't think it's better than my Outlands deck, and I don't think it's better than my Dwarf deck in terms of raw power. And that's not to take anything away from it in terms of it being like a poor deck or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. It's an incredibly good deck, but I think my Dwarf and I think my Arlen's deck is better than that. So I'd be interested to hear what um, Ryan and Joe have to say with regards to the optimal Dale deck with Berevoir. Do you want to go I'll first? Go sure, I'll go next. I think it's, in the long game, it is stronger than Outlands. Outlands with Aristor, I think no version without Aristor is going to be stronger than Dale. Dale built optimally. With Aristor, you probably can get to the peak faster, but your peak isn't quite as good as a peak Dale deck. I think it's better than Dwarves. Dwarves are amazing. They can quest for tons, but with the recent errata of a couple cards, they take a little bit longer to get going, and they really rely on Steward now. So I think I'm ready to say that they're tied at least for the top, if not the strongest deck in the game. What do you think, Rant? I think one advantage that Outlands have got over Dale is that Outlands can play a very good tail and Dale can't. Because mm-hmm. a very good tail is one of the top ramp cards in the whole game. If you can get two allies out fast, very good tail for another two, you are set up for turn two really, really well. And that's what that Outlands... Um, is it Doomed Outlands deck or the one with Aerostore which draws loads of cards and just plays them as quickly as possible? That's what that deck can do. Uh, you, weren't you playing that recently and you were just crushing things? Uh, Me? Yeah. I haven't played Dale, uh, Outlands for a long time, but I did play that Rapid Charge of the Outlands for a good bit. Played through several quests. and Yeah, it, by turn four or five, you can pretty much have everything in play, which is just insane speed. But... Yeah, half your deck ends up in your discard pile because it's just draw or resource acceleration. So by turn five, you aren't doing anything mm-hmm. in the planning phase, which is a little bit of a bummer. <laughs> and anything that's in there is dead, and um, your end game power level wouldn't be as high, in my opinion. It's the sort of deck I would only reach for if I really wanted to stomp something. I never play decks like that because i think i agree i find out uh, not out so i find dale quite interesting to play and enjoyable to play because there are just some decision points around who to put this item on who to uh, play this turn as opposed to outlands which is just play everything right if there were ever a card that was somehow like a version of a very good tale for attachments or something <laughs> that wouldn't put half of your useful cards in the discard pile, then that, I, that's not going to happen, though. It, it can't work. Because with Dale, you need to do roughly, say, roughly equal number of attachments to allies, whereas those other swarmy ones, you can just focus more on the allies and you don't really care who you play. 
I feel like in Dale, you do care a little bit. And that's why you were talking about Galdor earlier. You don't want to throw away those cards because you know they're all going to be useful, mm-hmm. which I agree with as well. If I had to say now, I would probably say that Dale is below those Outlands Swarm decks on a par with Dwarves. But I really feel like I'd like to see some numbers. I don't know if, say, Dale can actually get to higher willpower numbers just from doing what it ordinarily does compared to Outlands, which can get into like the 40s, I think, if you get all of the allies out. I know that the Dale deck I played with the Cloak can get up to 100, but it takes about eight turns, and by the time you've done it, you've won already. And it's only questing. Yeah, because it's got Faramir. And so if Outlands gets Faramir as well, then that gets even more uh, insane. But Outlands won't have the Cloak. So it really depends on what the deck's trying to do, I would say. Um, I think if you're just going for an all-round, uh, I'm gonna, I'd am gonna, i like this deck to go up against as many quests as possible, then Outland, uh, I keep calling Outlands. <laughs> Outlands is in the top <laughs> five, but so is Dale. Dale is absolutely in the top five for me. Um, I'm not sure if it's the strongest, but it's definitely in with a shout. Yeah, I think I'm basically in the same camp with you guys, that of the strong top-tier decks, it's by far my favorite to play. And so that's worth something. I wonder if I built something with Sneak Attack Gandalf and Faramir, if it would outperform Outlands. I think it would be close. But I think the tippy-top Rapid March of Outlands is the best. I'd put Dale, too. I'd put it slightly ahead of Dwarves. Yeah, I think I'm kind of coming down, similar to where you guys are at. I'm interested to tweak my Dale deck a little bit more, see if I can't get just a tad more power out of it. But it's already really, really good. It crushed every Nightmare Quest I've played. Wow. To be fair, that's not a ton of them. It's a few of the Nightmare Saga quests, which I actually like the Nightmare Saga quests a lot. I think it's some of my favorite quests in the whole catalog. So I played it against the Road to Isengard Nightmare the other day, and the lack of healing was a little bit of a thing, but there's so many hit points, it just soaked it up, and yeah, it's a fun deck to play. My kids love it, they love to play it too, so I think Dale's the most fun deck in a long time, and it's super good. Here, you guys. Dale is good. Yeah. <laughs> if the kids love it, kids usually know what they're on about, right? So that's a good <laughs> sign. If the, if kids are enjoying playing it, then chances are everybody else will too. For every generation, just like the heroes. <laughs> right. It's kind of remarkable that it kind of just plopped in our lap in one cycle. That's unusual, really. Usually, I mean, this cycle has given box. us other things as well. Yeah, we have a deck in a box, basically. But we, it's improved with the other cards we've got. But I, I, when's the last cycle we had that really just fleshed out a brand new uh, trait? Dunedain in the Lost Realm, do you think? Uh, Noldor through mm. Dream Chaser. I see. Noldor is real. Noldor had yeah. some more seeds um, prior so to that, probably. How does Dale compare to your Noldor deck, Joseph? I would say that Noldor is slightly more resilient because it just keeps cycling the deck and you can keep your threat static forever and has a similar amount of allies. Um, but I'd say Dale is stronger and a little faster. Mm. But it has a similar, like, the allies are similar. They all have some hit points. They do something. They do something, you know. <laughs> stronger than that. 
I think that's saying something because I really like my Noldor deck. <laughs> the only thing I found that playing about Dale that I didn't like is that I um, deck myself so quickly that turn eight onwards can be a bit boring because I'm just waiting to win. <laughs> yeah, that might have just that, been the withered heath, though. <laughs> the other thing I've run into playing solo with real cards is by the time I get near the end of the quest, I have cards in my hand. And I'm already winning and crushing things, and I kind of, I mean, you play a power deck long enough and you start winning everything, it can get boring almost. <laughs> You're crushing everything. You have more stats than you know what to do with. You just keep, it, that can happen. But that's only if you play a deck too much. <laughs> so it's a criticism. Play- you win so hard, it can be too easy, I guess. And the space on your play mat. That's another criticism yeah. of Dale. You can't fit everything in there. That's uh, why I had to uh, go ahead and quest for 16 without exhausting anything. Yeah. It's also a deck that is um, likely just to grow in power. The more cool items that come out, and they're not going to stop printing item attachments, the more powerful it's going to become. It's not like Outlands almost feels like it's finished. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Outlands got his power, and it's very powerful. Um, there might be one or two little things here and there, like there was an attachment for it, wasn't there, that came out a little bit afterwards that helped it out a little bit more. But um, it feels like it's a bit of a done and dusted thing. I feel like the way Dale is set up, that it's going to take advantage of a lot of cards that aren't necessarily going to be used only in Dale decks, whereas Outlands takes advantage of mostly Outlands cards. So I think Dale is uh, the potential to be a deck that evolves over time more than some of the really powerful ones where they just kind of get their deck and that's them done. Maybe one or few, cha- one or two changes um, each cycle. I feel like Dale has the potential there to, um, to really just keep evolving and keep growing, which is, um, which is quite exciting really. That's a really good point. Even if it doesn't grow in power, just having new options as we get more cards to tweak it could be really fun. This has made me curious about what the strongest possible Dale deck is. <laughs> Make it. Well, it would use all the power cards like Steward and Sneak Attack Gandalf, which the core set one does, but that that one doesn't include Guardian of Esgaroth. So maybe there's some really strong one out there somewhere waiting to be found. (laughs) I guess people probably make the Dale deck that they like because it fits their play style and, uh, you know, it uses cards that they like and it's a bit more thematic. And and you don't need to do much more than that because that's good enough. That will be nice. Things. You can afford to make a sub-optimal Dale deck and still beat stuff fairly handily and have a really good time with it. Works for me. Yeah, yeah I love it. You guys okay just running down a couple of the decks that you can find on RingsDB and then closing it out? Yeah. I mean, I think the most popular Dale one was written by, was made by some sort of semi- L-O-T-R, L-C-G, celebrity, I guess. Um, some noobs. Some noobs. Some, some dude is like, oh, yeah, you start cards. Like, I'm going to do that. I'm like, mate, I, I didn't pay all this money and sleeve all of these cards to use the started cards, but there's a pretty good one out there. <laughs> What's it called, Ryan? <laughs> um, starter for Dale, which is a play on the old Starter for 10 University Challenge thing. Not sure how many people got that. Well, none more probably. probably now. <laughs> none, nobody clearly. So that's the first one on your list there, Joseph. So what are the other ones? Well, I'll plug it again. Uh, this is Ryan's deck he built right after that uh, deluxe came out, and it has all the good cards from the core set and all the good cards from there, and it plays really well. And he has a really good write-up, helps you figure out how to play it, and an extensive list of quests he's beaten with it. It's a lot of fun. 
Um, there's another minimum purchase for Dale is a similar idea. I think it's just corset and uh, that box by Othra, and it uses Barivore as well. Just a tiny bit different take on it. Um, there's also a start, Dale starter deck, similar idea, using Theodrid. Uh, this is by Chris Jackson, and Theodrid is one of his uh, favorite heroes. Um, Dale is old as time, uses Land One. It's kind of a more... It has Land One in it. Uh, I did play it. It works pretty well. The One for All Challenge deck. Uh, that's... Is that... Who? Uh, Devarish, yeah. He played through a bunch of quests with this. This is my favorite version of the Gladriel Dale deck. No, that's probably the only one of the two I've played. But yeah, it's really strong. as Faramir for that extra boost of willpower. Dale with Aerostor does that. I mean, yeah, these are just like one deck of all the <laughs> different decks with uh, the different heroes in it. You mentioned uh, Chad's deck, Undomio and Dale. I can't say that. <laughs> that uses Arwen. You get an extra boost of spirit resources and the card draw off that. Uh, mm, really fun deck. Like I recommend that. I like that a lot. It was really fun. Yeah, nice. Except for Wigloff. Oh, I don't think he had it. I mean, I made some tweaks to it, uh, oh, but um, <laughs> it was bad tweaks. Clearly. <laughs> oh, there's one Wigloff in his. Yeah. Oh, is that? I feel bad now. Yeah, terrible deck. <laughs> I mine is called Men of Dale, and it has the Descendant of Girion. If you want to play a subpar deck with a junky hero uh, ally in it. <laughs> And then uh, Ryan's other deck is Dude, Where's My Cloak? And this is the one that really focuses <laughs> on the Guardian, right? This is the cloak cycling one. So right. it's a bit like C-Stan's 100 willpower. You try to move the cloak onto Faramir and just keep using him. I think, what can you do? Four times? So you can boost your willpower to insane numbers. And I think that was my first attempt at using the, using the Guardian of Esgaroth. I suppose if I was going to build that again now, I might spread a bit wider, maybe not use the Guardian. I think you could do a slightly mm. wider build and just get more value from Faramir. I'm curious to know, a lot of these decks just use one different hero. Mm. How different are they in terms of the allies? I know we're dragging the, the time out here, but it seems like the allies are mostly the same in all of these decks. And what I haven't seen here is a combat Dale deck. Yeah. Do you think There's, that exists? There was one that was just published this week that has Bard the Bowman in it. And I think it's a little more combat-y. It has... Tactics cards in it. <laughs> it has a black arrow for a little boost there. More of the tactics attachments. Let's see where is that. Um, is dude wears my cloak a reference to something, Ryan? <laughs> That's a slightly easier one to get, right? <laughs> yeah, you know that. You know that movie, huh? <laughs> I'm terrible at titling things. Hey, they're good names. I like those that, names. All of that those one was okay. Names. Oh, here's the deck I was talking about. I hate titling things too. Bard, great, 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 great grandson of Kyrion. And it has Bran, Bard, and Bard. It has Great Ubo in it, Black Arrow, three Warrior of Dale, uh, two Knight of Dales, the Redwater Sentry and the Guardians, Hands Upon the Bow, other and Glamdring, one Glamdring, Ancestral Armor. But yeah, the allies are so good. I mean, you can tweak here and there the optional ones if you want to use a fisherman or a um, outrider or a knight but you're going to see those three core and maybe four core allies everywhere right the lookout trader sentry and warrior because they're so good so dale is good took us an hour and a half to say that right dale op you heard it here first yeah <laughs> but i like it it's a really really fun deck 
and I don't feel bad about it being awesome. Yeah, if it wasn't fun to play, there might be an issue, but it is. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Thanks for um, thanks for uh, arranging all hammers all on, and um, it was great chatting to you as well, Buzz. Hopefully, we get another chance to speak about um, about this great game again in the future. And uh, yeah, it was great chatting to you two fellas as always. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Liam. It was fun to be on, and uh, maybe we'll get another chance. Who knows? I do love Lord of the Rings LCG, so. Yoda taught us, I know he's not a Lord of the Rings person, but he taught us the future is always in motion. So you don't know for sure. But I enjoyed my time. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Buzz. Appreciate it. Thanks for staying up so late. (laughs) And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back in probably another four weeks or so. We haven't made a plan for what we'll talk about next, so you'll be surprised. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye.